Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. I'm Eric. And I'm Seth. And we were going to do kind of a bit here in the intro about how things seem to be going weird and a little crazy since Nintendo hasn't announced a Direct yet, but with some very serious things in this country kind of going crazy over the past day, we decided not to really do that. And we are going to have some fun here today. We're going to talk about a lot of fun and and entertaining things. We've got some crazy news stories to talk about. We've got a great indie showcase for you guys with Alba, a wildlife adventure. We're going to do the top five Sega Genesis games that still need to come to NSO. And then we've got an awesome retrospective for you guys on the history of one of our favorite developers, Treasure. Yes. But before we get started with the show, there was a couple things that we just felt like we wanted to say. Yeah, and and we should also say that as we announced on social media and, and to our community in Discord, we did not do the news roundup live this week as we normally would. We were <laughs> so this is we were chatting Friday night kind of an hour or so before we would go live. And I was just sort of feeling apprehensive about kind of streaming at all in the light of everything that had happened that morning. And to just be perfectly honest, like I, I always feel really dumb, like coming on a live stream, yelling about video games when like there's something real happening to real people in the real world. And again, we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to use kind of the world of Nintendo as an escape as we always do. But I, it, it just didn't feel right to me to be on camera, doing it live, putting on a fake smile and blah, blah, blah. So, um, and then like, as if it were a sign in the middle of you and I having this conversation via text, my yep. entire town suffered a massive internet outage and my internet was down for like two hours plus. And then as you and I were literally texting about like, Hey man, like we're going to have to get on the phone and record this thing the old fashioned way. I yep. kid you not. My internet came back in the middle of that conversation. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I got nothing, but, um, yes, we do want to just kind of touch on the, the Roe versus Wade overturn, um, at least briefly here before we get started. Um, we have always tried to keep this show as free from political discussion as possible, but uh, we have always been, from the beginning of the show, on, in one of our, I think maybe literally our very first episode, um, we've always been outspoken about issues of human rights. Um, so if you aren't interested in hearing things like this in your Nintendo podcast, cool. I encourage you to skip ahead a couple of minutes um, just before the intro and everything, but but I do just... I, I need to say this. Um, in the United States of America, Friday morning, the Supreme Court ruled to overturn Roe versus Wade, which, for those who don't know, gave women in this nation rights to a safe, legal abortion, if needed, at the federal level. And with this overturn, it has essentially now become a state's rights issue, meaning that each state now has the right to keep abortion uh, protected within that state or not. Um, And I'm not here to get into religious or moral commentary about it. Those are just the facts like that, that those are the facts of what has happened. Um, And I've had conversations with people both for and against this uh, since it happened. There's a ton of nuance to the situation. Just like any situation, there are people who think that putting this power in the hands of the state versus the federal government is a good thing. And again, I'm not going to get into all of the different sides of this argument because we would be here all day talking about it. Um, But here's what I do want to say. And I'm, I'm speaking for me 
but I, I think that Eric and I think that many of the people in our community would probably agree that bodily autonomy and reproductive rights are human rights. And if you're out there and this matter is important to you, no matter how hopeless you might feel right now, because I feel hopeless too, when it comes time to vote on these issues at the state level, which is what we're going to have to do now, get out there and do it. And when you have the opportunity to do more, do that too. Seek out local funding organizations for this cause if this is important to you and support it because things just became a little bit more scary for the women in this country this week. And I'm not even going to get into what it could mean for other human rights issues that may be next on the chopping block. But um, that that is what I have to say. We can come together as people. And if there's even a glimmer of hope of that, and if, if this really is a states' rights issue that is supposed to give more power to the voice of the people and put this in the people's hands, then let's take charge of that. We, we kind of have to take charge of that um, because the federal government isn't doing it anymore. And I honestly couldn't really say it more eloquently or more intelligently than that. Uh, I just, uh, when, it, when it comes to supporting our fellow men and women, I just always feel like giving people more protection and more options for health and security in this country. I just don't see how letting people have more protection is ever a bad thing. So this does kind of baffle me. I do understand a few people's stance because of the implications of what happens during these procedures, but ultimately a lot of a lot of what happened Friday is just going to lead to I'm afraid it's going to lead to more bad things happening, which is never a good thing. But I hope that as a country, we I hope this galvanizes the people who genuinely want a better country to leave uh, their kids and our kids. I hope this galvanizes people who want to make a genuinely better world. So. Um, again, I couldn't say it more intelligently or eloquently than Seth, but I just, I am hopeful moving forward. That's all I'll say. But, but all of that stuff being out of the way, we, we, we just had to stop and address that again. These, the, this is not even really a political conversation. This is a human rights conversation. Um, so but with all that being said, I, I think we're both ready to sort of just escape into the world of Nintendo together. Hopefully you all are too. And maybe let's have a little bit of fun on the show this week. So if you're ready to do this, man, I think it's time to go all in. Folks, we are here against all odds with another episode of All In a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned. Um, we're here. We do need names. This can't be a proper episode uh, without us having some All In names as per That's usual. So, true. Yes. Yeah, so, so I am Seth Star Heroes. <laughs> and I guess I'm Grand Theft Eric Chinatown Wars. There you go. 
I like that. <laughs> I like that. So we're we're gonna have some we're gonna have some fun this week. Let's talk Nintendo, man. Mm-hmm. Um in in terms of uh what's been going on on Patreon this week, just to quickly shout that out on patreon.com slash all in podcast, where you can support at our various tiers. Did have a new episode of SideQuest go live this yep. week. We have another one we're recording soon where I think the plan is to chat about the season of Obi-Wan that just wrapped up. That's so, what we're talking about. We're fine. Yeah, there, there's not a whole <laughs> lot to dig into there. It's not as if there was a whole conversation already happening in the spoiler zone on our Discord oh, about yeah. Obi-Wan. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack. Just in the final episode alone, there's a lot to unpack. So I, I think that's going to be the next episode of SideQuest. So... I, I have a feeling we haven't recorded that yet, but I have a feeling that that's not an episode of SideQuest you're going to want to miss. And for those who don't know what SideQuest is, on our Patreon, we do a whole other exclusive podcast for our Golden Banana and Triforce tier patrons. So literally for the price of a cup of coffee, you can get a whole other podcast in addition to a ton of other perks, including early access to our YouTube videos, um, YouTube video essays that I do, which include like my standard video essays and Behind Enemy Lines, a new episode of which is available for patrons. Early access still isn't live to the general public yet. So, and that's that's for all tiers. For for a dollar, you can get early access to uh, to the video essays that I put out and. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think this one's a good one. Um, and people seem to be responding well to it. And I did want to just give, you know, anytime I do that, patrons are going to get at least 24 hours of early access to uh, to those video essays. So, and that's in addition to a lot more. We have to plan our first Triforce tier monthly uh, AMA hangout um, pretty yep. soon for yep, July. We need soon. to plan that. That'll be soon. So there's a lot to dig into over on Patreon, a lot happening every single week. So I did just want to point you guys there, patreon.com slash all in podcast. Um, and the patrons literally voted the episode of behind enemy lines into existence, by the way. So, uh, you get voting <laughs> rights on video and podcast content. Another perk. Yeah. There, I, I go over there, check out the tiers, see what's right for you. Um, however you choose to support, we, we really, really do appreciate your support. Um, and with that being said, we another kind of perk of supporting us on Patreon at the Golden Banana and Triforce tier is you get shout-outs here at the beginning of the episode. So let's shout-out some of our beautiful patrons. At the Golden Banana tier, we want to shout-out Dan, good buddy Dan Caparello from Retrologic. As always, we want to shout-out Solo Something, treasured longtime community member. We want to shout-out John Cummins, uh, one of the co-hosts of the Retrologic podcast, as well as the host of On Topic Retro. Uh, want to shout out Matt Murray, Shy Guy City himself, at the Golden Banana tier. Want to shout out Rob Yapel, a longtime early, early listener and supporter of All In. We want to shout out new patrons, third strongest mole, Sam. We now have, like, the, the Infinity Gauntlet, the Patreon Infinity Gauntlet is full now. All three Retrologic hosts are uh, are all end supporters at the Golden Banana tier. So shout outs to Sam, and then another new patron for this week, Shy Guy, the other Shy Guy, <laughs> who uh, who I think even said in the Discord, I mostly wanted to make sure that I supported so that I could hear you struggle to differentiate the two Shy Guys in the Patreon shout outs. So. <laughs> so for for whatever reason you want to support, we we appreciate it greatly. 
Um, Still support. Hey, so thank you. Support is support. We appreciate you very much, uh, Shy Guy. A treasured community member, always with some great insight and intelligent conversation. Our community is so intelligent and wonderful. Um, and then at the Triforce tier, we want to shout out Josh Vaughn, um, who is maybe my my longest time fan and listener of all time. He's been supporting my content for forever, so we super appreciate Josh Vaughn. Tim A, Tim All from the Nintendo Dads, who still has as his, as his Patreon name, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad number four. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for your support. We want to shout out Sparky. Our, uh, our uh, loved and treasured community member, Sparky. Uh, my uncle, mm-hmm. Randy. Randy Bryans, who uh, supports us at the Triforce tier over at patreon.com slash podcast. So huge, huge thanks, as always, to all of our patrons. Even if it's just at the dollar tier, we appreciate you too. Every dollar helps. But you got to be golden banana or Triforce tier for the shout out. But every every dollar helps. We, we appreciate all you guys so much. So... With everything else out of the way, sir, what's been going on with you this week? Well, uh, it feels weird to be really excited about a few things, but there are a few things that I'm really excited about. Yeah. Uh, I will I will start with this past weekend. We finally got you to play TMNT Shredder's Revenge. We did. And yeah, not only that... You and I played through the entire game together with one of our newest patrons, Sam the Third Strongest Mole, online. And that was a ton of fun. That was so much fun. We played through the entire game together in online co-op. It worked beautifully Mm -hmm. the entire time. And then literally, right as we were about to deal the final blow (laughs) to the final boss, we had another of our good friends jump into uh jump into the the fray jump into the fun andros from the nintendo pals wound up joining us and we were having so much fun even though we had literally just played through the entire game andros joined us and we wound up playing for for quite a bit longer with the four of us we and i've got to say playing a teenage mutant ninja turtles game multiplayer yeah with all four turtles, there is just something uniquely special about that. Playing a multiplayer game with all four, with the entire team of TMNT, there's just something uniquely special about that. That was a ton of fun. And I hope you had a ton of fun last weekend playing through the game with us, uh, Seth. Yeah, it was it was super fun. Yeah, the, the game's great. Um, it's it's I, I can't really think of a complaint with it. Like, it's... It is exactly what it needed to be. Um, is it my favorite beat 'em up of all time? No, because wh- what I what I have come to realize is that I personally prefer the sort of River City style of beat 'em ups, like the sort of like more open world. I guess is that a weird way to put mm-hmm. it? Open world, um, the style that like Scott Pilgrim follows, where there's shops and character interactions, and there's not as much mechanical depth though. Because one thing about TMNT Shredder's Revenge, there's a ton of mechanical depth. Yeah. Um, yeah, to, you have to a that ton game. of options. Yeah, so many options. Um, but but yeah, I loved it. It it may be the best feeling beat 'em up of all time in terms of like the way the combat feels and the way it all runs mm-hmm. and that little snap that you talked about last week, which is a total game changer. Um, oh, dude. Yeah, it's a great game. It's a great game. It is it is precisely what it needed to be. The music is wonderful. Um, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. 
And actually something weird happened to me this week. I had seen a couple of them online. I had watched a couple of the videos, but for some stupid reason this week, I got completely addicted to those stupid pitch meeting uh, comedy videos on YouTube. Pitch meeting comedy? I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Really? Yeah, I don't think I've seen so, that. Yeah, so uh, there's a guy that plays both a script writer and a movie producer who keeps, he basically just pitches movies. You've seen the Honest Trailers? Yeah, yeah. It's basically just like, it's it's like that, but... It's an honest trailer in like pitch meeting form where the script writer just continually talks about, he's like, oh, I'm going to pitch, you know, the newest Thor movie to you. He's like, oh, and and Thor's going to do this. Oh, why? Because we need the story to happen. Oh, okay. And Jane's not going to be there anymore. It's like, no, she's totally written off in a throwaway joke. But I thought she was an incredibly major part of the first two movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not going to do that anymore. Oh, okay. And it's, it's, they're really funny. The, the quick, the, the quick delivery is great. They're, each of the individual videos is only like five or six minutes long. So I just, I wound up watching a bajillion of them this week. I just got completely addicted, uh, addicted to those. So if you haven't seen them online, I do recommend them, especially as the guy kind of found his character with these over the past couple of years. So if you haven't seen those, those are funny. But honestly, speaking of, internet personalities whose entire claim to fame is comedically pointing out plot holes and inconsistencies in popular movies. So I got the Capcom fighting collection Mm -hmm. and that makes me incredibly happy. Oh yeah. But the actual honest trailer announcer guy is the announcer for the game. That's (laughs) weird. I'm not sure how I, I'm not sure how I feel about that, (laughs) (laughs) but I did, I did just think it was weird, considering I've been watching these pitch meetings all week, that the Honest Trailers voice guy wound up being the the announcer to the one game this week that I was super incredibly excited for. I just thought that was a bizarre coincidence, a lot wow. of that going around this week. Yeah, tell but, me about it. Yeah, but, oh man, the Capcom Fighting Collection makes me so happy. It really, really does. Ten games, so many of which I'm so happy to be able to own in some form, like in physical form or fashion especially Cyberbots and Pocket Fighter slash uh, Super Gym Fighter Mini Mix and Hyper Street Fighter 2 and Five Darks and everything that's in the Capcom Fighting Collection. If you're a fighting game fan, I'm sure you've already bought it. But man, that game makes me so happy to have arcade perfect ports of all 10 of these games. All 10 are online. I haven't been able to jump online yet, but I have spent a lot of time in training mode, which there is a training mode. Uh, training functionality for all of these games. Nice. I love the Street Fighter Anniversary Collection, but they only had training mode for four games. They only had training mode and online for four titles. Granted, it was the four that they needed to have those functionality that functionality for. But I am glad with this collection, you have online and training functionality with all of them. You can customize the. You can customize your controller. You can uh, customize the the arcade uh, options. They're just, oh man, I really, really love this. I'm so happy to have it. So many, so many games 
came out this week, I knew I was going to have to pick and choose. I knew I was going to have to forego games for a little while that I still really, really want to play. Yeah. But there was no way. I actually had to go to four separate places yesterday to get Capcom Fighting Collection. Wow. But there was no there was no way I was not picking that up this week. I'm so happy to have it. Nice. I I, I will pick that up. Like because just like you, dude, when I, I was putting together in our show notes to record the notable releases for this week, and it is the most dude. stacked release week I think we've ever had in the history of this show. Um, it's nuts. Um, so, yeah, and invariably, like, I'm still playing all this other stuff. I'm like, I'm, I can't justify picking up Capcom Fighting Collection yet. I can't justify picking up Sonic Origins yet. I will have them both eventually, but I, I've got to hold off for now. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of stuff that happened. Like, I want to go back and restart Monster Sanctuary now, especially after you you talk about bizarre happenings. The massive DLC suite for Monster Sanctuary, The Forgotten World, somehow wound up releasing early on the Nintendo Switch specifically. Somehow it accidentally released early. And they said, well, it's out now. We don't want to mess up your save files, so it's out now. Wow. So now that that's out and how... If I didn't have a billion other things that came out this week, I probably would have restarted Monster Sanctuary because I really want to replay through that. But uh, just just so much, you guys. So much, just so much, you guys. But actually, speaking of monsters, uh, what have you been up to, Seth? Yeah, speaking of monsters, I um, I sort of, like Friday morning after everything happened that we already talked about, um, I was upset, you know, and I just sort of was... On Twitter, like talking about it, and and shout out again to uh, to Matt Murray, Shy Guy City, who who reached out and he he literally tweeted at me. He was like, "Hey man, like my wife and I are are playing Monster Hunter right now. Come on in, the water's fine, <laughs> you know." And um and and he he basically invited me to uh to just sort of zone out and play some Monster Hunter Rise with them online. And to be honest, that was exactly what the doctor ordered. Like that that was so nice to just like brainlessly kill some monsters with them and sort of I, I had needed to get in there and shake the rust off anyway before Sunbreak comes out next week. Um went ahead and pre-ordered Sunbreak. Let me ask you this, because I had no idea this was a thing. So I get into their lobby, like I join their their lobby and everything, get in, and I noticed when I got in there that the music was different. And I was like, why does their like gathering hub sound di- like what I've never heard this track before. This is an amazing okay. track. What is happening? So I'm like freaking out. I'm talking to him in the discord. I'm like, what is this music? Did they add new music to this game? He was like, Oh dude, like there's like seven or eight music tracks that you can purchase on the eShop and customize yep. the music that you can play in every area of Kimura village. Did yep. you know this? No, I didn't. Well, they go so nuts with, especially with Monster Hunter. Was well, they did it with Monster Hunter World too. Yeah, a ton of different, just minuscule cosmetic things. Uh, I do know that they had some music available for Monster. I, I feel like I knew they had some music available for Monster Hunter World, but so much of the layered armor, so much of the cosmetics, and just little nitpicky things, <laughs> like being able to give a scar to your hunter that's never going to be seen underneath the helmet you have them wearing just little things there's such a laundry list of 99 cent dlc and dollar 99 cent dlc 
for Monster Hunter that I just overlook most of it. Honestly, I used to have this. I used to have this itch that if I was going to own a game, I was going to own all the content for that game. But games like Rock Band and Guitar Hero certainly got me off of that. And Monster Hunter wound up becoming another one of those. I just saw all the nickel and diming DLC stuff, all the frankly kind of predatory DLC stuff. And I was like, let me just have Sunbreak. Let me have like the major stuff. And you can have your hairstyles and your music tracks and and all that. I don't need that. Yeah. So so here's the thing. I think it's actually the opposite of predatory because a lot of it, I think for most people, you might not literally even realize it's in the game. For me, this is me we're talking about, people. I didn't know that there is purchasable music in Monster Hunter. <laughs> so, like, clearly they're not putting it in, in my face. Um, so, shout-outs to them for that. And there is a ton. There's, like, 120. I knew about the layered armor and stuff that you could buy. There's, like, 120 DLC options. It's crazy. Um, that stuff is, has never spoken to me. But the music, especially the ones that I was hearing when I jumped in, I was like, oh, I'm buying this. I'm like, this is <laughs> this is awesome. Um, it is overpriced, I think, because um, you get a, a pack of music basically for $3.99. So for what it is, it's ultimately like usually four or five tracks per pack. I think it is a little pricey, but when you consider how often you're going to be hearing that music as a Monster Hunter player, um, it's, it's probably, I mean, you know, it's up to you if it's worth it or not, but, but I picked that, I picked up there, there's a whole summer remix of every track in every area of Kimura village. There's like a summer version and it is wonderful. I'll never go back. It's so good. Um, anyway, so that kind of blew my mind and just, just had a really good time playing with them. You know, we had the cleanest Camellios fight I think I've ever done in my life. It, it was awesome. Um, nice. So anyway, thank you guys again for, for inviting me to do that. That was a good time. Yeah. A lot of monsters going around. Actually. I wound up playing through the, the Pokemon snap, uh, the, ah, we yes. just got Pokemon snap on the NSO this past Thursday. And I wound up playing through that too. So a lot of monsters going around yeah, this week. I, I haven't jumped in and done that yet. I need to, um, I'll probably play that, play through that this weekend. Um, it's not I, long. <laughs> no, of course. I beat that game in an hour, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so of course I'm still playing a bunch of neon white. Um, I have kind of slowed down on the world record setting. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, I, this whole time I've put like 15 hours or so, it feels like into neon white and I haven't even gotten past chapter three. So I finally am doing some more story progression in neon white. And, and I'm not just purely focusing on routing speed runs that I did it wrong, really, because what you should do is go through the game first and then the end game is routing for speed runs. But I did it exactly the opposite. So that was my bad. Now I'm actually playing the game. Um, <laughs> I'll go back to speed runs later. Um, also wanted to shout out Fall Guys, which came out on the Nintendo Switch. I've been playing a little bit of that. Um, I did a little YouTube short just kind of about how the game runs. I know that a lot of people have had connectivity issues with the game. Personally, I haven't experienced any connectivity issues. I find games really quickly, and once I get in there, it's been smooth. Um, the game is like, it's the typical Switch concessions, right? Like, it's a lower yeah. resolution, lower frame rate. They're, the one really weird thing is they've taken out frames of animations for your opponents. So your opponent's animations are really weird and choppy. I don't, I don't understand why. 
um load times are longer you know but but like by and large fall guys is running on the switch and it's a fun game and it's free to play now um i don't really take any major issue with any of the free to play stuff yet hasn't felt predatory to me yet there's a battle pass i feel no draw to get it you know i'm just popping in there and having fun um but i mean look fall guys is on switch like that's that's long and short of it fall guys is on switch fall guys is indeed on switch we can confirm that so if if you like Fall Guys, you can play it for free on a handheld. Like that was kind of an amazing moment. I my like my wife's watching TV. I'm sitting there playing Fall Guys in handheld mode, and it was just nice. Uh, nice to have it on Switch. Um, I also want to shout out Elekhead, which came out this week. Um, God, yeah, I really. I'm gonna pick it up tonight. I am. Yeah, it's really really good. I'm not that far I into know. it. Um, I, I'm only, there's, I think, I think there's eight worlds in the game. I've only made it through world three so far. Um, or, or like it's, it's all seamless. So it's really like sets of stages or however you want to say, I think there's eight of them in the game and I've made it through three. Um, in any case, the game is brilliant. Like the puzzle design is brilliant. I immediately was making comparisons in my mind to Pushmo, like, which is high really? praise. Yes, not in terms of gameplay, but in terms of the way the way that Pushmo demonstrates it's with with a very limited tool set because in Pushmo you just push, pull and jump, like that's your tools, right? Yeah. Um in a head, you jump and you touch things and you and you throw your head. Like that's your tools. You you never get any more than that. The mileage they get out of just a limited tool set and the way that they um, that they illustrate these puzzles to the player so organically and the things that you can do with just a few moves reminded me a lot of Pushmo. The gameplay is extraordinarily different, but the design philosophy reminded me a lot of Pushmo in, in a very positive way. I'm like, this this game, in terms of puzzle games, this is what I look for in a truly great puzzle game. A game where the player doesn't have that many options, but they actually have a million options. Like that is what is that makes a brilliant puzzle game. And Elekhead is certainly a brilliant puzzle game made by a solo dev. It's only ten dollars. Um, it's inevitably going to wind up getting a physical somewhere eventually. Yeah, I'm um, gonna get that, but I, I, but it's only ten bucks. I'm gonna yeah, double dip. I'm gonna, I'm gonna double pick dip it up, too. But I'm st- yeah. I, it feels like a fan gamer release to me. I'll inevitably get the fan gamer release. Uh, I mean, they're getting a lot of my money recently anyway, between this Tell me and about it. Yeah. Slime Rancher and Into the Breach. Super oh excited God. about their Into the Breach release with that extra content patch coming next month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had to get that, too. There's there's yeah. so many physical indie games. Like I try to be good. I really do. Like, I, I tried to make a conscious effort to, like, you know, like I said, holding off on Capcom fighting and Sonic Origins, but then the same day, it's like, here's Into the Breach. You're going to buy that. Shut up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Shut so, up and take my money. All basically. Basically. And speaking of that, so, so Leckhead, go buy it. $10. These launch weeks are really important to indie devs. So I just, again, if you, if you want to support this game, go ahead and do it. It's $10. And if you're waiting on the physical, you know, just double dip. It's 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 cheap enough to make the leap, you know. Um, so I, I just wanted to to shout that game out. But speaking of taking all my money, our friends at Boss Fight Books this week, out of the clear blue sky, 
after being kind of quiet for basically two years, um, we've been kind of waiting on a new uh, announcement from the press. They they typically have every year or so a new wave of books to announce and support on Kickstarter. And Boss Fight has been really quiet. Gabe Durham, the uh, founder and lead of that press, was on our show uh, very early in our run. Um, he, uh, has, you know, we've stayed in contact with him. He's, he's been a good friend and, um, he launched a Kickstarter this past week for a single boss fight book. This one for GoldenEye 007. Um, I, I think a few of you probably have heard of that game once or twice. So not only is GoldenEye 007 going to be the biggest book since NBA Jam, it's like that and NBA Jam are their two biggest books in their catalog. This is also the debut of the first ever hardcover run for their press. So on Kickstarter, you can actually oh. back at a tier that gets oh, you a hardcover. Yes, it is for me too. I had to get it. That that's is dangerous. That's a thing. Um, and in the Kickstarter video, Gabe even says, "Like if this is something you guys want to see, we might do more." So. I, I dread the idea of them reprinting some of their old books in hardcover because oh, if, God. if if they do that for like Earthbound, Majora's Mask, Spelunky, it's like I'm going to have to just get them again. It's going to be like the Scott Pilgrim Color Edition all <laughs> over again. <It's laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I own both the black and white and the uh, and the hardback color Me edition too. of those two. Me too. Mm. It's going to be like that all over again. So uh, shout outs Gabe. to... Uh, exactly. Gabe. Shoutouts to Gabe. That that Kickstarter absolutely smashed its goal, I think, within minutes of it going live. It's uh, currently, at the time of this recording, literally at $25,000 raised with a $2,005 goal. So all of the stretch goals so far have been smashed. Gabe, it's time to throw some more stretch goals up there because um, you've already smashed all the ones you have. So... <laughs> Shoutouts to that. Shoutouts to another Kickstarter, by the way, that just has a few days left. Um, our guest last week, Dave Morrow of Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland, that game's still available to support on Kickstarter. So I wanted to point you guys over there. We really want to see this yes. project get realized um, really badly. It's close. It is close. It's like 80% of the way there. Um, we've got five days to go at the time this episode goes live. So if you haven't done it yet, there is a video on our YouTube channel to watch if you want to see the game in action. And there is a great interview with the man behind it that we did on the show just last week. So um, there's a ton of love and passion going into this special, special game. And if it doesn't meet its funding goal, I'm going to be personally upset. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't ask for a lot, but I think the interview we did last week with Dave was evidence enough of how big of a fan of Little Nemo I am. I don't ask for much, but if you can, definitely go support this incredibly deserving developer and that special little project of his Little Nemo and the Guardians of Slumberland less than one week on Kickstarter. Uh, go check it out. Yes, please. But with all of that being said, that's what I've been up to this week. We've got some news to get into. We've got an insane week of releases to talk about. So what do you say we talk about it? Well, we've already kind of touched on a few things, but properly, let's talk about it. Listen. Uh, clearly the biggest entertainment headline, the clearly the biggest headline in the world of Nintendo, 
this past week was the revelation that Chris Pratt, obviously the voice of Mario in the upcoming movie from Illumination, touted that his voice is going to be unlike anything we've ever heard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I saw that. Did he did he elaborate on this at all? Not, not particularly, no. Okay. So voice actor says that his work in a in a movie is doing the voice for is good is that is that the headline yeah i yeah i think that about sums it up <laughs> looking forward to it i guess okay moving on yeah okay moving on so of course the actual biggest news story this week um we're still waiting with bated breath on some sort of actual nintendo direct but we did get something of a nintendo direct this week with the xenoblade chronicles 3 direct that we retreated to that we live mm-hmm. reacted to um earlier this week so there was kind of a lot so this was like a 24 minute presentation so um what are what are some of the takeaways well we found out a lot of story stuff we found out a lot about the characters and found out a little bit more about the world and while i know that they didn't give away everything in the story i honestly don't know if that's the big selling point for this game i don't know if that's what they really should have spent a lot of time elaborating on when it comes to xenoblade chronicles 3 i would have been just as happy going in as blind as possible when it comes to the characters and when it comes to the narrative and they they told us quite a bit Uh, of both of those, of the characters in the narrative, in this direct. And honestly, my takeaway after the end of all of that was cool. Cool. Because I just want to see, I want to see everything in context. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Can I be honest with you, though? That was actually, when I was watching this, that was the thing that I actually kind of came away the most excited about. Because... Um, the story, we didn't really know all that much about the story before this. I guess I never really considered like how little we actually knew about the game's story before going into this, even like the setup of the story, which is that these characters who are part of this like kind of guardianship have like a ticking clock. You all know how much I love a ticking clock. I love I love Majora's <laughs> Mask, Unsighted. I, I like games about weird uh, grief and, and death countdowns. These characters have such a thing where they, I guess, only have a lifespan of 10 years? Something like that, yeah. And, it, and yeah. the one that's part of the party is, is going away in three months, and it's all very replicant. Yeah, and, and it has like this sort of, it's Xenoblade, but it also carries this sort of World Ends With You vibe with that um with that kind of story conceit but then we get a little bit of a taste of the characters and and their relationship and the party and we got to see a lot of the sort of like character moments cozy things like getting to set up camps in the wilderness and cook meals together and yeah i agree with you that it's all going to make a lot more sense in context to kind of like um see how this all plays out and to, and to really feel connected to the characters in the context but having just that story setup of the fact that like we we know that element of the story now does have me more excited than I was before. Like I felt myself kind of just being like, okay, cool. I'll wait and see what happens. But now that I know that I am more excited to see where the story is going to go uh, when the game comes out. We'll see. I mean, we only have a month to wait yeah. basically, Yep. but 
I mean, I'm excited too, but what got me most excited from this whole Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Direct was the ridiculously deep battle system they showed off, arguably too deep. Man, there's a lot of bells and whistles to this combat. Yeah, there is. They they have, you know, the, the stuff that's always been true of Xenoblade is back, of course. Things like setting up your chain attacks and, you know, having all of these great synergies with your party members and stuff. But having, like, being able, first of all, being able to control individual members of your party is going to be huge. That change alone yes. is going to be huge. Um, but the Direct also broke down customizable roles and classes for party members. Um Every character in your party has assigned roles and classes that can be changed um, and, and sort of customized for each character, which I think is, is really cool and really smart and is going to add a lot more depth to the, to the combat system. Because while you can have, you know, the sort of um, tried and true, like, hey, I'm playing this person, they're going to be a tank whatever you can really sort of tailor yeah. whatever play style and whatever class you want to whatever character you want. It's really cool. Yeah. And it looks like you actually have, I mean, I was trying to keep track of all the characters on the screen, but you have a party of six play uh, of six party members. Yeah. I think they're all part of the combat at once. And they are that yeah. would. Yeah. That, I mean, that would kind of go along with Xenoblade Chronicles two see Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was weird though because there was technically only three however each character had their accompanying blade with them who was also kind of a character even though there were only really three attacking party members so it looks like in this one each of your individual six party members is going to be part of the melee it's going to feel like a raid battle essentially with you being able to switch in between the individual members so it looks like your strategies are going to be able to get really deep with this setup having six characters that you can individually tailor to specific scenarios and specific roles within the combat all within each fight that's going to that's going to make for some insane depth especially given all the tools that you're going to be given in this game with all the different customization options you have for you know even beyond just the weapons and the armor but being able to say you know what you three are going to be this character's fighting style you're going to be this other character's fighting style and just i mean being able to almost copy and paste any of these billion different things that you have available to whatever characters you want based on how you feel they should play like no two people ever playing this game i feel like are going to have the same kind of party setup strategy just because yeah. there is so many options available to you which can be really good but even within the 20 minutes that we were watching all of this unfold, it felt so overwhelming. I'm still really excited, but within the context of just this 20-minute presentation, they were like, you can do this, and 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 this is how this is going to work, and this is how this is going to work. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm still trying to process what you said three things ago. Yeah, so, so I mean, this is ultimately an RPG that we are going to be spending well over 100 hours with. So to try to condense our understanding of anything about it inside of a 20-minute little direct is an impossible task. Um, 
So th- this is the kind of stuff that is going to be presumably doled out over the course of the game. And I assume that much like Xenoblade 2 before it, it's going to feel natural in the context of the game. But seeing it all at once here, it was it was like a buffet that you've arrived at and you were already full, <laughs> you know, and you just don't know where to start eating. Um, yeah. And then in addition to the roles and classes, I I will say I am a little bit bummed that it seems like they're tying aesthetic like costume changes to the roles and classes and on one hand i get it like being like oh like this person wearing this outfit means that they are this class so i get it making it readable and stuff but admittedly it was a little disappointing for me because one of my favorite things about playing xenoblade chronicles 1 definitive edition is being able to go in and, and customize and change every element of my outfit um maybe that's still in there i kind of hope it is they didn't show it in this direct. It sort of looks like this class has this outfit and every character has a version of this outfit. So who knows? That's a very minor thing. A big, uh, they, Oh, go ahead. They, they glossed over it. They glossed over it, but I'm almost sure they said, even if you have a character as a certain class, you can still, you don't, you're not married to that outfit. I hope so. I'm almost certain they said that, but I mean that, I, again, that, that's what comes from throwing out such a ridiculous amount of information is you and I both watched the direct in its entirety. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a couple big things that I completely missed even watching it multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. So another big sort of thing with the combat, and this is yet another way that Xenoblade Chronicles three really kind of feels like the marriage of all of the Xenoblade games that have come before it, because you, you can have two of your party members essentially do the fusion dance, fusion ha, <laughs> and become something called an Ouroboros, which is kind of like an exosuit-looking persona thing crossed with a skull from Xenoblade Chronicles X. Um, so that's a thing that you can also do in the combat. Yeah, you can fuse like your Digimon and become... Yeah, some new mecha life form and a lot of them look really cool i'm not gonna lie a lot of them look really they cool and they said that even the the ouroboros forms can take part in the chain attacks which is going to get absolutely bonkers for those of you xenoblade players who know what those chain attacks are uh see i'm just just because it looks cool my entire strategy is just going to be wrapped around how do i get to the cool looking thing the fastest <laughs> Yeah, chain attacks are insane already in Xenoblade Chronicles. So just having that is is going to be a crazy layer. Again, this is a lot of stuff. And we said earlier that you're going to have six uh, party members. That isn't technically true. Because in addition to this, in addition to all of these characters being individually controllable, all of them having classes that are customizable and interchangeable, two of them being able to fuse into a powerful Ouroboros form, you also have, I believe they're called hero characters, which yep. are going to operate as a seventh party member. There's a limited amount of them. One of them they blurred out. I can't imagine why. Um, <laughs> and that is sort of the replacement I feel like for the blade system, which if for those who didn't play Xenoblade Chronicles two, um, it almost kind of worked like a Gashapon kind of thing where you get a blade and they all have their own skill trees to level up and stuff like this. This seems like a little bit more of a simplification of that same idea while still having a kind of powerful seventh party member hero character on your team. 
And I do wonder how many of those you're going to wind up having access to throughout the course of the entire game because there were a ton of different blades yes. in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. There were a lot of blades. So it feels like there may be a... The, it feels like they may have a lot of hero characters. And we certainly know a couple of them, at least, are going to be super special. Uh, not just the one that they blurred out during the uh, not just the one that they blurred out during the presentation, but as part of the DLC and the expansion pack they announced yes. for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 moving forward, which they gave us a vague roadmap for the expansion pack. The expansion pass for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is going to be $29.99 with content being released over the course of the next year and a half. There's going to be, they said new story content, which is presumably going to be like a Torna sized DLC expansion at the end of next year. But outside of that, they did mention other content and other heroes being added to the game. And very conspicuously, as part of the expansion pass imagery, the Aegis from Xenoblade Chronicles 3, or Xenoblade Chronicles 2, rather, is very clearly front and center. Yeah, it's got all three weapons, all three versions of yeah. of the main character's weapon. It's got, you know... Yeah, the Minato can be whatever. I don't. I just care about Pyra and Mithra. I just need Pyra <laughs> and Mithra. I don't care about the Minato. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's basically got Shulk, Rex, and Noah's weapon there on the, uh, on, on the artwork for the expansion pass. So I, I've got it here in front of me just to give you a quick rundown. So on launch day, if you get the expansion pass, you're going to have access to helpful items, whatever that means, and outfit color variants. Um, releasing by the end of the year, there's going to be a new challenge battle, a new hero character and quests, and then new outfits. And then by April 30th of next year, there will be released another challenge battle, another new hero character and quests, and more new outfits. And then by the end of next year, there will be a quote, brand new story scenario, which we have to assume will be sort of at the scale of Torna, which was included in the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 expansion pass. Um, so it's, it's in, in so many words, this is going to be worth twenty nine ninety nine. I mean, just the number of game hours that you're going to get out of it. And you know, we, we do always talk about quality over quantity in terms of game hours. There's a lot of games out there that pad their length with a lot of unnecessary stuff. And I'm sure you're not going to be in love with every quest you do in this game. Sure. But if the first two games in the core trilogy at this point uh, are any indication, this is a hundred plus hours that are going to be an absolute blast from start to finish. So, I mean, they, they, they want to charge me an extra $30 for an extra presumably 50 hours 40, 50 hours worth of content. That's, that's fine with me. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm all about that. I was a little bit scared because by the end of the direct, they were talking about amiibo support and I was a little bit scared. <laughs> I think visually scared on stream as I was live reacting to it, that they were about to announce amiibo for the game. And I was like, please God, no, I thought it was out. I thought we were done with amiibo. We, we just have the sunbreak amiibo and, and then we got to finish up smash. I thought it was out. Um, but no, there are no new Amiibo announced for the game. However, um, the game will have Amiibo support. When you scan an Amiibo figure, you'll get some in-game items. But the big one is, if you scan the Shulk Amiibo, uh, you can get a Monado skin for Noah's sword. 
which is just awesome. Yeah, that admittedly is really cool. I do like that. Yeah. I mean, I really hope, I really hope that when we finally get the Pyra and Mithra Smash amiibo, that it has a similar effect. I imagine it will. But we shall see. But we shall see because hopefully that will be part of the, uh, hopefully that will be part of the Nintendo Direct as well because there are still a couple Smash Amiibo not yet out yet. There's a couple we still have left and I really need Kazuya. I really need Pirate Mithra. So yes, please. Yep. Absolutely. So the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 Direct, again, weird to have a Direct for a massive game like this without context, of course. And I I think I even said this um, publicly. I was like, if if I weren't a Nintendo content creator, I wouldn't have even watched it because I want to go into this game as (laughs) as blind as I can. But look, we've only got a month and change to wait. And uh, it's one of our most anticipated games of the year. We're going to be spending a lot of time in it. And uh, bring it on. I can't wait. Yeah, you guys may have to wait. You guys may have to wait a little while you will, on the review. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully, hopefully we can get through most of the Sunbreak expansion by the time this game comes out. Yeah. Plus all the other thousands of things that are going to be released in the interim between uh, then and or between now and then. But yeah, I, I cannot wait to lose an entire month, month and a half to this game just in time for Splatoon 3 to come out eventually. Yeah, there, there's so there's there's just so many games coming out, man. I it's Nintendo could literally, if they do have a direct next week, whenever they could announce nothing, and I would still be set for the whole year, just based on what we already have. Yeah, like genuinely, yeah, it's crazy. The the video games industry is just it's going insane. It's it feels like it's going to drive me insane. I can't really blame Yuji Naka for getting out of the game when he did. <laughs> yeah, I so Yuji Naka. Let's let's just let's talk about the Yuji Naka saga a little bit that happened this past week. So on June twenty third, when Sonic Origins came out, it was kind of nice. Yuji Naka was kind of on Twitter celebrating, you know, thirty one years of Sonic and you know, cute tweets and talking about his history with the franchise, obviously. And then he tweeted out about, he he says, quote, does Sonic Origins Sonic 3 have a different song? And then he tweets out, and we should say, these are rough translations. These these are not, you know, he's Japanese. English is not his first language. So he's using a translation tool um, to, to tweet these things out in English. So he says, and I'm quoting him directly, Oh my god, the music for Sonic 3 has changed even though Sega Official uses Michael Jackson's music. So he tweets that, and the internet went ablaze immediately because from the look of it, Yuji Naka had just casually confirmed in a tweet that this long-standing internet myth and legend that people have spent literal decades researching and trying to report on that being Michael Jackson was involved in the music for Sonic 3, um, which is why it hasn't been re-released in any real capacity with the inclusion of that music, including in Sonic Origins, by the way. Um, <laughs> Yuji Naka tweets this out and everybody's like, hang on, what? You just confirm this casually on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that tweet in real time and just imme- the immediate firestorm, the immediate firestorm, actual journalists tweeting, you know, I've, you know, I've spent my career researching this and it's been confirmed casually in a tweet. Yeah, it's 
I, it was it was mind blowing. It was insane to watch the fallout in real time from this, just to see presumably actual confirmation of this video game of this decades long standing video game urban legend. I, it, it it'd be like hearing that. It'd be like hearing that, you know, Luigi was apparently actually supposed to be in Mario 64. You know, something crazy like that, that would never have happened and never be confirmed through any type of... Yeah, it would be like if if Miyamoto got a hold of the Nintendo Twitter account again, said, this is Miyamoto, Rosalina actually is the daughter of Peach and Luigi, Uh, goodbye. So again, these were rough translations of tweets and... There has been a little speculation in terms of the accuracy of those translations, but suffice it to say the middle of this week was thoroughly bizarre. Yeah. And so Yuji Naka, a couple of hours later, did uh, come back out and he says, I feel like I'm being misunderstood a lot, probably because I don't speak English and I'm using a translation tool. Sorry. Sega official uses Michael Jackson's music means this. And he referenced a tweet that he made earlier that same day where um, Sega official had made a TikTok of Sonic dancing to a Michael Jackson song. Um, he was dancing to, I, th- I think it was Beat It. Um, he, he's dancing to it in the TikTok to celebrate his uh, his birthday. So that's what Yuji Naka was referring to. And he said here... Happy 31st birthday, Sonic. Sega official is playing Michael Jackson's song on Sonic. I'm surprised. Is it a sign? So he says that that is what he was referring to. Not that he was officially confirming that Sonic 3 did have Michael Jackson's involvement directly in it. It seemed like he was kind of egging on the the myths and the rumors. And in in previous interviews, when he was still an employee of, of Sega and then Square Enix, he's always been coy about it. So this is either him demystifying it or this is his public uh, his publicist saying, hey, you, you can't say that. You need to have a spin. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going with the headcanon that this was actual confirmation from Yuji Naka that Michael Jackson worked canonically on the music for Sonic 3. I'm just going to take that as gospel moving forward. Hey, we, we've already had more than enough reason to sort of believe that anyway. Um, but it is kind of funny that a bunch of mistranslated tweets cause such an internet blaze uh, this week. It was just kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, to get into the last kind of big story from this past week, outside of the massive tsunami of releases, we have yet another major release to look forward to. And we have the date now for said major release. The arguably the biggest turnaround in video game history, the now must play no man's sky is now officially coming to the Nintendo switch October 7th Mm -hmm. in that tweet. And my, my immediate reaction was I've got to see, I've got to see what the no man's sky switch version looks like. I've got to see what the footage looks. I've got to see visually. I've got to see what the performance looks like because the performance of this game on the Nintendo switch is going to be a big make or break for me. And I'm sure many, many people. And we were all kind of wondering what the caveats were going to be for the Nintendo version. And sure enough, there are a couple pretty big ones. 
uh, arguably the biggest is that, quote, No Man's Sky Switch Edition will launch as a single player experience. As an award-winning live service game, the Switch Edition will continue to benefit from ongoing development post-launch, end quote. It's going to start single player online has been promised to make its way to the console eventually. But at the beginning on October 7th, don't be expecting to run into a bunch of people around the world out there in the galaxy on your Nintendo switch. Yeah. So, so that's, I think was really important to stop and talk about this week. Cause um, I don't see a lot of people reporting on this and I, I don't want any of you guys to buy this game thinking that you're going to be able to play it in co-op or whatever, at least not at launch. So yes, no man's sky when it comes out, October 7th, is going to be single player only. And I like how in their statement, they're like, as an award-winning live service game, basically saying, haven't we proven ourselves? L- like, trust us, the updates are coming. The Nintendo Switch is also going to get updates. Don't worry, it'll come. So, and and I do think, admittedly, with the turnaround story that No Man's Sky's had, I, I do think they've earned themselves a little bit of benefit of the doubt um, at this point. So the problem with No Man's Sky is the fact that it already wasn't being developed with the Nintendo Switch in mind. And as it's continued to get bigger and perform better and all the stuff that they have crammed into this game now, I don't even know what the file size for this game is going to look like on the Nintendo Switch. The fact that they're releasing a physical version of this game blows my mind because it's absolutely in my mind, at least it, there's no way it's not going to have that additional download required banner it might. on the box somewhere. Yeah, it might. Uh, this, this game is going to be absolutely massive. And even then with all the stuff that they've crammed into it, it was more and more not being developed for the Nintendo Switch. This, I love the Nintendo Switch. I absolutely do. It's one of my favorite consoles of all time. Maybe my favorite console of all time, but we all are painfully aware that it is not remotely up to the same specs as the Xbox Series S and the PS5 and all that stuff. So even with it just being a single player experience, I'm still very cautiously optimistic, even with as much work as Hello Games has put into this game over the many years since its release. And they should absolutely be commended for all of that. I'm still very hesitant about this game. I'm still very excited for this game, but very cautiously optimistic, maybe even more so than for Sonic Frontiers, because this is a tall order for Nintendo's hybrid platform. It is. It is. We will see what happens. We don't have that much longer to wait. Um, But yeah, again, PSA for those who are looking forward to playing this game online at launch on Switch, that will not be available. So if that is a deal breaker for you, I understand. But do know that before you decide to make a uh, a purchasing decision with No Man's Sky on October 7th. But um, how about we end the news roundup this week with the most insane list of notable releases I think we've ever had on this show. I'm looking at a laundry list of games that I could play over the course of an entire year. And I honestly wonder if we've missed a couple from this past week, but yeah, uh, let's, let's go ahead and start shouting them out here at the beginning of the week. We got the shadow run trilogy, three different shadow run games at the beginning of the week. And I, ha- I really want to play them. I really do. I've heard some very middling things from the few reviews that I've seen about them, but I can't personally vouch for the quality of those games. 
but I would really like for them to be good. But if you're into that kind of thing, the Shadowrun trilogy released earlier this week, also releasing earlier this week, a game that we've already talked about briefly, Fall Guys. Yes. Fall Guys is now out and free to play on the Nintendo Switch. So if you are an aspiring bean, <laughs> then jump on and try to catch your crown. Yes. It's a fun game. It's a fun game. It's running well on Switch as as well as it, as it could be for now, I guess. Hopefully it gets even better. I will say too, real quick, before we move on about the Shadowrun trilogy, the, the games themselves are, are great. I played them all. I played the whole series on PC. Really enjoyed them. It just sounds like that the Switch port has got some tech issues. So hopefully those get ironed out as well, and it'll be something worth picking up on Switch. There's been some really bizarre issues with remastering and porting old games to the Nintendo Switch, especially when it comes to RPGs, because I'm sure by now we've all heard about that bizarre KOTOR 2 bug to where you literally can't finish the game. So I... I really hope these companies figure this stuff out because that, that's a pretty big blemish on an otherwise fantastic release. So hopefully they can figure out the Shadowrun stuff too. Yeah, and we do have a couple of other, um, speaking of like Shadowrun kind of being brought up, speaking of KOTOR, um, we had a couple of other sort of uh, remasters or reimaginings from the Blade Runner Enhanced Edition which came out this mm-hmm. week, which I actually really want to play. I've never played this game. I'm not even necessarily the world's biggest Blade Runner fan. But when they showed the trailer at LRG3, I was like, I, yep. I want to play this. This looks cool. <laughs> it's a point-and-click Blade yeah. Runner adventure. And there's something about it that just taps into my weird, like, early to like late 90s, early 2000s nostalgia, that sort of Matrix nostalgia, you know. I want to play yeah. it. Well, I mean, it very clearly comes from that era of games, that kind of yeah. low-poly PC, those point-and-click adventures, that the kind of stilted FMV-adjacent uh, movement that the characters have that looks like it's some uncanny valley lawnmower man type stuff. Uh, lawnmower man, there's a there's a <laughs> reference for you guys. Uh, but yeah, it, it just really taps into... Uh, a, a lot of those kind of mid nineties PC style, a lot of stuff like mist. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, Blade Runner also came out and we're just getting started folks. Uh, a game that we've actually had on our radar for some time now from Thunderful games, fire girl. Yeah. Fire girl came out hack and splash rescue DX fire girl came out on the Nintendo switch this week. That was one that they've been showing off for months now leading up to this Nintendo switch, uh, leading up to this week, it's release on the Nintendo switch. And I don't know how good it's going to be, but if that's one that you also had on your radar, that also came out this week in and amongst everything else. I played that game like a year ago. And if you'll, if you'll pardon the pun, I wasn't that hot on it. Um, but it's, I don't know. I, I It got a significant delay. It was supposed to come out last December, and it's only just now coming out at the end of June the following year. So maybe they sort of went back to the drawing board. Maybe they gave it some more work. It has a very striking visual style. Um, yeah. So we're, worth a look for sure. Um, and a, a, another one that we need to shout out here, because this is another one that falls in line with that sort of like re-release, Pocky and Rocky Reshrined. Oh, yes. I really want to play this. 
I do too. This one came out just yesterday. This one is absolutely, I'm absolutely getting the physical I need for that. this one yeah. as well. I know our, I know our friend Matt Murray already has the Japanese. It is, it is Shy Guy City, right? He has the yeah. physical, the Japanese physical. Yeah. He imported already. it. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's already singing the praises of it. We knew this was a game we needed. This is a, a legendarily expensive Super Nintendo game that's been remade with a bunch of new playable characters and a nice big graphical upgrade. It's been one another game that's been on our radar for some time that just happened to release in the most drowning week possible. But if you're into shmups, I know I, I, that sounds weird. I know that. But if you're into shmups, definitely check out Pocky and Rocky Reshrined. Uh, you won't be disappointed. It's an incredibly interesting take on that genre. Yes. Uh, speaking of stuff that also came out yesterday, I've already talked about the Capcom Fighting Collection. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, if you're a fighting game fan, you've probably already bought this. A lot of these are like Stone Cold Classics. Forgotten classics, to be sure, but Cyberbots and Darkstalkers and Pocket Fighter and Hyperstreet, like they're just, it's just a collection worth owning. 10 online capable fighting games in one package, 10 good online capable fighting games in one package for just $40. What more can you really ask for in that regard? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be picking it up. Um, Sonic Origins, another one that we shouted out earlier is uh, that also came out this week. I want to pick it up too. Honestly, at this point, I, I think it's probably going to get the same treatment that Sonic Mania did, where it, for some reason, didn't have a physical at launch, but will eventually. So I think I'm yeah. just going to hold out on the physical for this one, to be honest, but but that did come out. Yes, uh, I Exact same. I wound up double dipping when the Sonic Mania, it wound up getting that Sonic Mania Plus expansion with Mighty and Ray, and that's when they wound up doing the physical version for it. Yes. So I don't know if we're going to get that. I don't know if we're going to wind up getting DLC that has extra playable characters. I don't know if we're going to wind up getting extra story content. I don't know how that's going to work, but if we do, that'll probably be when we also get the physical for Sonic Origins as well. And just another game. I do really want to play it. I do really want to play it, but I mean, not only, I mean, just talking about platformers, not only do we have the Sonic Origins, but you were just talking, Aleckhead's out. Aleckhead came out this week. Aleckhead's out, $10, instantly one of the best puzzle games on the platform, uh, well worth your time and attention. One guy made it, it's it's gonna, oh man, it's just, there's too much, there's just too much, but Aleckhead should definitely be on your radar, especially if you're a puzzle fan. Uh, we got uh, Pokemon Snap. Came out of course just a couple days ago, yep. Thursday evening. Yep, of course that hit I mean, the NSO expansion pack. I, I've got to check that out. I got to do my little hour run of that. Um, AI the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative, which is a huge deal. It's a it's a niche release, but a huge deal for fans of this series. For those who don't know, this is a um, a kind of like anime horror detective visual novel it's made by the danganronpa guy basically um the guy who sort of picked up the reins of danganronpa made this kind of spin-off series ai the somnium files um and this is the next release in that very anticipated for a for a niche group of people so i wanted to shout that out absolutely yeah but 
arguably in and amongst everything else from this week. Very arguably the biggest release from the past seven days is, of course, Fire Emblem's three or Fire Emblem's Warriors, rather, Three Hopes. Yes. That also released just yesterday as well. And that's another one that hopefully Seth and I can get to the last Musou style game. Nintendo released Seth and I thoroughly enjoyed. Make sure to go back and check out our review of Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. So hopefully, I mean, this one has been getting praised pretty highly ever since that demo came out. As a matter of fact, Seth had a little fun with the demo himself. Yeah, I I played the demo on the YouTube channel and you can download the demo for free yourself Um, and, and you can play that and check it out. And, um, and yeah, like it, it was, it was fun. Like it's, it's good. It is a Fire Emblem Musou game. It's exactly what it says on the tin. Um, for, I think some people are going to be very, very into this. I would like to get to it eventually, but again, there's just so much to play. <laughs> there is just so much to play. And we would love to hear what you guys are playing this weekend. Let us know which of these releases you've picked up, or if you're playing something else, let us know that too. Reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast on Twitter at all in podcast join our lovely community over on discord we'd love to have you over there we just talked about youtube check us out on youtube.com slash all in podcast again we apologize for not being for not doing the news live this week but you can definitely check us out next week uh we are going to be back to our regularly scheduled yes live broadcasts friday nights at 8 p.m eastern over on twitch.tv slash all in podcast and even if you can't catch those for whatever reason we've got the podcast itself all in a nintendo podcast which you can catch wherever you get your podcasts from itunes google play spotify anchor and everywhere else and if you've checked out the podcast and you like everything you see we actually do a ton more so consider becoming a patron yes which you can do over at uh, patreon.com slash all in podcast we've got three tiers a one dollar tier a five dollar tier and a ten dollar tier all that we have gone out of our way to make sure they are more than worth your time and money we do a whole extra show we give Mm -hmm. you shout outs we actually give you influence over the content that we make and so much more guys definitely check out patreon.com slash all in podcast and for those of you who have become patrons and who are supporting us Thank you guys so much. But even if you're not a patron, there is another fantastic way that you can support us. You can do that by dropping some words entirely for free. It costs you nothing on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, and on Audible. You can leave us a five-star written review that we will also shout out here at the top of the show. Um, And even if you can't do that, if you listen on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating there as well. And it helps us so much with visibility, getting the show out there to people. It is a, it is a free way that you can show your love and support to everything we do here. And we super, super, super appreciate it. Yes, guys, we appreciate that. And we appreciate you. Thank you guys so much. So, so much for hanging out with us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Namaste, indeed, my friend. But, you know, talking about Pokemon Snap, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to dive back into that game, of course, take a whole bunch mm-hmm. of pictures. Who doesn't love themselves? Some Pokemon Snap. But let's not forget that this week also saw the official start 
of summer, June 22nd. Yes! The official beginning of summer. And here, you know, I live down here in Florida now, so got time for me to go buy a surfboard and <laughs> get my... I'm, like, really white, so I got to use, like, SPF 100, but, you know, I'll be ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I live down here in, in Louisiana, and so we, um, we've um been feeling summer for a little minute now, but... Regardless, mm-hmm. I think a lot of folks like to play games with summer vibes, games that will kind of let you escape into a summer vacation of your own. And honestly, R&D Showcase this week is a perfect example of a game that scratches that itch. Ladies and gentlemen, R&D Showcase is Alba, a wildlife adventure. So Alba, a wildlife adventure, comes to us from London-based developer uh, Ustwo. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's, it's us too. It's the, the USTWO. That was a mistake that I made. Us no, to us, uh, us exactly. No, it comes to us from London based developer us too. And, uh, I mean, y- yeah, that's the whole reason we chose to feature Alba, a wildlife adventure in this week's indie showcase, because I mean, yeah, you talk about summer vibes. The entire game is about vacationing to this gorgeous Spanish isle Mm -hmm. as this young kid going on this photo expedition, this safari. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you you want to talk about summer vibes. There aren't too many games on the Nintendo Switch that really uh, evoke summer vibes like Alba. Yeah, I think the way that you and I have both described this game, and I think it's really apt, is just a short hike meets Pokemon Snap. (laughs) <laughs> yes genuinely <laughs> yeah yeah another reason we decided to talk about alba this week of course you know uh following up on our love of finally finally getting a re-release of the original pokemon snap got mm-hmm. us in the photo taking mood and this is definitely a game that will scratch that itch although they don't really consider it taking photos you quote unquote scan the animals right even though you're still taking photos with your smartphone but i digress uh, you play as young Alba Singh, a tweenager, I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah, some 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old young girl on vacation with her abuelo and abuela, mm-hmm. her grandparents, in this beautiful, tropical southern isle of Sakaral. Sakaral, I believe. Either Sakaral, Sakaral, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah. Yes, I'm terrible at Spanish, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> And you meet your best friend, Ines, and you start off by saving a dolphin mm-hmm. from a fisherman's net. And this leads to you and your best friend starting this basically wildlife protection league, the yeah. AIWPL or something like that. <laughs> yes. The Alba and Ines Wildlife Protection League, which even Ines uh, admits that it needs some work on the name. <laughs> but yeah, after this little initial... Uh, adventure with the dolphin you and your friend go on uh somewhat of a an adventure to protect the nature preserve to restore the nature preserve to stop evil corporation to find and catalog all the wildlife the fauna inhabiting this island to clean up the island to fix stuff all along the island to basically do a lot of really wholesome really endearing things yeah, this this game is incredibly wholesome, incredibly heartwarming. I think that mm-hmm. like, you know, that that sort of inciting incidents cuz cuz the game begins like she's very young and they save that dolphin and everything and 
Like that really just kind of, you can tell that spurs a love of just nature and wildlife in Alba and her friendliness. And the, the sort of like that, that kind of sets everything into motion, but what spurs them to kind of take on and form this league and sort of like take on this big evil corporation is they are basically threatening to build a hotel on top of the kind of nature reserve that I believe like suffered a wildfire and you know, there's not a whole lot going on with it beyond it just being sort of the nature reserve and they're going to build a hotel on top of that. So the game is all about sort of cataloging the wildlife, collecting signatures and sort of convincing the townsfolk to rally against the building of this hotel and to preserve the nature in this, um, in this Island. And um, it's a really kind of beautiful little story. Like, it's not, it doesn't have like a million twists and turns or whatever, but it's all about sort of preserving nature, cleaning up like litter and helping the animals and cataloging the animals and photography, you know, kind of taking photos of stuff and exploring the island. It's, it's just a really cute, wholesome game, man. Bordering on edutainment. Right. Yeah. So if you were trying to kind of get your young child into nature, trying to get your young child into stuff like National Geographic or, you know, Discovery Channel or, you know, stuff like that. This would be a good young child game to to let them try. It, it has like that sort of educational thing where you're having to listen out for bird calls and like learn about their habitats and things like this. You're learning their actual like names and everything. You, you kind of learn a lot playing the game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I did learn quite a bit about actual wildlife mm-hmm. playing Animal Crossing New Horizons. <laughs> And this is very similar. There are dozens of actual real world animals that inhabit this island that you can photograph and catalog and scan and get into your little wildlife handbook. Some of them are actually very hard to spot. But one of the cool things is they are able to really kind of naturally cram a lot of different environments pretty seamlessly into this island. The island itself, and this is something I said about a short hike, is the island itself is very dense. It's very kind of deceptively packed with stuff to do. Uh, Running around as a little girl will still take you quite a while to get from one side of the island to the other, but there's a town area, there's an actual forested area, a ton of beach Obviously, there's a ruined area. You go on top of a mountain. There's marshland and rice fields and farmland. Uh, there's like kind of an, a suburban residential area. There's actually a lot of different environments around this town. You're not going to run into a lot of, you know, this is not a fantasy wildlife expedition. So don't expect a lot of dragons or unicorns or anything on the level of, you know, Pokemon Snap. But it is really cool to run across and actually see, like, every time you see motion, it catches the eye. And then you look around, it's like, oh, man, it it actually makes you excited to see a rabbit or a fox or, like, a peregrine falcon or something like that. Yeah, they they do a really good job of that. I think that's another way in this, another way in which this game evokes a short hike. Like, it, it definitely feels like it's got a lot of sort of visual variety, a lot of like fun area to explore in a very, because, you know, the, the actual landmass of the island, like as the crow flies or whatever, is probably not very big, but just the, the stuff that's packed into there and the amount of animals. I think there's like over 60 animals in the game. Yeah, there's all. There's ultimately 62 that you can catalog. Yeah. 
which uh, is pretty impressive for how naturally they all kind of appear. There's a bunch of them. Well, some of them, there's a bunch of them. There are actually common, uncommon, and rare species that you can catalog. But unlike many pseudo-open world games that have vast stretches of nothing to do just for the sake of padding out the size of the map, the map itself is as big as it needs to be because there's all like each of the each of the environments is exactly as big as it needs to be to house to feel like it naturally houses everything that you'll need to do there. Yeah. And I I think another big part of the appeal of Alba is the way that this world is like visually represented. Um, Yeah. Because it does, while it does sort of have a kind of polygonal kind of style that we're used to this sort of like not low poly, but it doesn't have a lot of actual like textural detail. It's, it's very colorful. It's very sort of like stark colors, but the way they sort of make that all work, it kind of ends up looking like you're playing a little animated movie or something. Like everything is just really well put together. You know the the like the mobile like two and three year old Legos? Yeah, yeah. The the MOBIL, like the mobile figurines mm-hmm. and trucks. That's basically the visual style for most of the characters within the game. For the vast majority of the human NPCs. And that even extends somewhat to the wildlife. This is not photorealism whatsoever. Oh, no. This is, you know, very, it is very cartoonish, very, uh, I don't want to say juvenile, but it, you know, plays very nice for a younger audience, obviously. The human characters have very (laughs) basic kind of looking facial features, almost stick figure-esque. But here's the thing. The game actually runs surprisingly well on the Nintendo Switch. I was actually kind of shocked at how tight the game controlled to the point where, like, when I was watching media, when I was looking at photos and video of the game, it it always kind of struck me as a visual style done out of necessity of technical shortcomings. Once Once you see the game in motion, you realize that's not the case. That's the actual, like, aesthetic. And I don't say that as a dig against the game, because for what the game's going for, for the tone the game's going for, I think the visual style, I think the aesthetic of the game fits that perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they nail it with, with what they're going for here. It, it feels completely true to the tone of the game. And I think it does a lot to, I mean, you, you reference like the sort of Duplo Playmobil, you know, sort Duplo, of. Duplo, yeah. 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 Sort of art style. Like, I, I think that just goes to show that like this, this really is a game that, um, is really accessible, I think, for kids and kind of gives them um, like like an empowering message if you were to if you were to play this as a kid to sort of like make them feel like they can sort of you know make a difference and things like that. And um, I think the art style helps with that. I think the lighting in this game is really beautiful. Um, yeah, impressively I so, agree. considering that this game runs on the Nintendo Switch. But not only that, like they got this game working on like ios like on your phone tablet <laughs> like it's kind of crazy so they they did a lot with a little here in the visual style and considering the game is so wildlife centric the sound design is incredibly important yes. in this game and they do an incredible job with the sound design uh you have full reign of the island to go wherever you want to and just running around and hearing all the different sounds 
of the island really helps sell the environment so incredibly well. It's not just an environment that you're running around in. It really feels like you're exploring an island. You hear, and like it, it's not just stock animal cries that are used to pad out the sound design. If you hear a peregrine falcon, that means one is close. Yeah, That means you should probably take your, your camera out and get ready to take a picture. You can actually, that's one of the cool things about this is you, you can track animals based on, uh, based on hearing their calls and their cries. And that's so, so cool because there were several times I was looking for something and that's exactly what I did. You can hear the animals cries, the animals calls. That's a function of your, uh, your wildlife guide. And that was something I did several times was I checked to see what they sounded like. And then I ran around and I basically tracked it down based on that alone. And that worked for me a couple of times. That's how good the sound design is in this game. It sounds like if you're, if you're just running around, it's fantastic background noise. But if you want to use it, it's an actual gameplay function within the title as well, which is oof, chef's kiss. Yeah, it really kind of like makes you retrain your your brain and the way that you would approach a game like this because because you're right, it's not just background noise. Like you'll be running around and listening, you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, hang on, whatever weird call that bird's making, I don't know what that yeah. is. Like, yeah, I you know what is that? I need to find out what that is. You know, I was like, I haven't photographed that yet. Yeah. I really like that. And and I like the way that the game kind of makes it like they, they literally in, in your journal, break it up into biomes and the like amount yeah. of like different animals there are to catalog in each biome. They make it kind of easy to go and, and add like a collection element to it. Like they, it, the, the game makes it fairly easy to 100% it and catalog all of the animals on the Island. And I mean, we think the game looks good. We think the game sounds good. We've told you a little bit about the story and the setup, but I mean, you've got to imagine that you're going to do more in this game than just run around, running around, taking pictures on your phone. And I've got to say, thankfully, there is actually within the short, within the relatively short, about five hour runtime that you're probably going to get out of Albo Wildlife Journey. I, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty satisfied with the amount of actual stuff there was to do within the game. In addition to going on different story quests, there are quite a few little simple uh, extra things that you can do all over the island. Yeah. Yeah. And th there's a lot of like little kind of side quests that you can do to kind of convince people to sign your petition or, or whatever. And, you know, these, these little kind of like, you know, find a lost dog or whatever. And like, there, there's a lot of like litter around the Island to pick up, which is satisfying to, to pick up mm -hmm. and sort of like that encourages more wildlife to, to come out and things like that. There's a lot of like little tiny, nothing too complicated, but a lot of little tiny side tasks that you can do that, that make it more than just running around taking pictures. And there's a ton of different little things that you can do. There's a uh, there's quite a few story missions that you can take part in with in regards to stuff like uh, protecting uh, or you know healing, helping animals who've yeah. been involved in pesticide spills or oil spills or animals that have been wrapped up in litter on the beach, and then cleaning up various parts of the island, fixing various parts of the island. One of the really interesting things about 
Uh, one of the really cool details, there's actually a lot of really cool details in this game. One of them I really like is after you finish a certain side quest or a certain objective, that will actually make news on the island. This is such a small, tight-knit community that a lot of the stuff you do actually gets reported on. And a lot of the NPCs, you'll actually see NPCs with newspapers, with photos of stuff that you've done. And be like, oh, I saw that you helped this people out. That was really nice of you, Alba. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great touch. Every time you finish uh, a certain side quest, this little <laughs> newspaper will kind of spin into frame <laughs> and be like, the AIWPL, you know, brings Peregrine Falcons back to the island and stuff like that. It's a really, really great touch when you finish a lot of these different side quests and uh, you'll get different throughout the course of the game. You'll wind up getting different uh, abilities. Like you'll get a toolkit that will allow you to fix different wooden structures. There's a lot of signs and bridges and benches and uh, I was about to say bird boxes and bird houses throughout mm-hmm. the Island that you can fix up that will bring birds back to the Island that will continue to bring wildlife back to the Island. Like you said, Seth, there's a lot of trash and there's a lot of litter all over the island that you can pick up. And every time you do that, that will continue. Every time you clean up the island, it will continue to bring more and more wildlife back to uh, back to the game, which is just another really cool way that you'll wind up progressing. And going along with it being this type of game, being very kid-centric, there is no combat in the game. There are no real no. Fa- fail states necessarily we have covered quite a few games in the past where you know it's basically just for the experience of it this is not a game that you're going to go into looking for challenge this is not a game that you're going to go into looking you know to get good this is a very laid back again summer vibes you're supposed to be laid back in the summer this is not a time to be stressing out about anything even though there are a couple admittedly fairly intense things that happen, especially toward the end of the game. A couple surprisingly intense things that happen toward the end of the game. Ultimately, throughout the course of the gameplay, this is not something that you should ever be stressed about finishing up or 100%ing or about making sure that you don't, you know, reach some type of fail state or something. That's not that type of game. No, and it's also not like, even though there is kind of like within the the game's story, there's like a time crunch of like, we have to get this done before they decide to build this hotel. Like, that doesn't mean that there's an actual time limit imposed on you in the game. You know, it's not Majora's Mask. You don't have a ticking clock. (laughs) You know, you you can take it at your own pace. Yeah, the main goal of the game is to collect signatures Mm -hmm. for this petition to stop the hotel. And you'll get those as you continue. You'll get those as part of rewards for finishing story missions and as rewards for finishing different side objectives as well. You'll continue. That's basically the main currency Mm -hmm. of the game. The stars, the power stars, the jiggies of the game, so to speak, is getting these uh, petition signatures from all the different island inhabitants, which I really like because as opposed to just being a random collectible, a MacGuffin for the sake of having a MacGuffin, what you're doing is you're actually working towards something tangible for your community. All these little things that you're doing on behalf of the community are there to serve the greater good. You're not just, you don't get like a gold star or you don't get like a little star piece that is just there to catalog your progression. 
the main collectible in the game is there as a way to work toward an actual real life style ultimate goal, which I think is another really nice touch in the game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, But you talk about the time limits. The game is told over the course of a week. And as you progress through the main story, you will actually go day to day to day. Mm -hmm. You'll start off. I think you start off on a Monday and the game climaxes essentially Friday evening, Saturday. Mm -hmm. Another one of the really nice touches, and this doesn't really affect the gameplay too much, but one of the really nice touches I like is there is actual progression on the island over the course of the week. The island will look different. New people will show up and things will be different day to day. And like I said, that's just another really, really nice touch. It's not something they necessarily had to do, but there's a lot of subtle changes day to day that you can notice every time you switch from like Tuesday to Wednesday or something. There's construction that's going on that is noticeably further along. There are new people. People actually wear, I I swear people actually wear different outfits. I think so. I think there are at least a couple of people that wear different outfits and you see them kind of yeah. doing different things. Maybe there'll be people that are hanging out around the ice cream, you know, booth or whatever yeah. that weren't there before, you know. And I actually do like a lot of the NPCs. I do actually like a lot of the people that you meet in this game. So often NPCs in adventure games like this just kind of all blur together. But even with the limited screen time, even with the limited exposure you have to a lot of the NPCs in this game, I do think a lot of them make a really strong impression to the point where when you meet them later on, I actually remembered names. I actually remembered <laughs> who this person was and what they did and what their whole deal was. There's this a, adorable little kid named Juanito who looks like he has a crush on Alba. Mm-hmm. I interacted with the local veterinarian a few times, the policewoman, the ice cream lady, of course, your, uh, your grandparents. There's a lot of really recognizable characters that you'll run into uh, every day that you'll, in a, in a very small way, build your own kind of relationship with as the player. And I I do think this game does a better job than most of creating a community of characters around, as opposed to just trying to come up with new designs for NPCs and trying to come up with new names for them. So this is not a game that I went into expecting to be blown away. And ultimately I, I wasn't necessarily blown away. I really, really like uh, this game. I do kind of wish there was a couple things that they had done. You, you, There's so much taking pictures in the game, but you can't actually move while you're taking pictures. I do mm. really wish that you could move while you were taking pictures. And I know it was probably going to be too much of an ask, but the actual pictures that you take are not the ones that you keep. When you take a picture of a new animal, you just kind of get this generic picture, this generic stock photo. And I do really wish there was a function in the game that allowed you to actually keep the photos that you take. I do really wish that was there. But aside from that, I mean, that's kind of it. The game ran really well for me on the Nintendo Switch. I didn't have any, I mean, there was a little bit, just a tad bit of clipping jank, but I didn't have any technical issues, no uh, no frame drops. I didn't have any crashes. I didn't really have any issues like that. Ultimately, I was going to say if they were going to make a new one, just give me a little bit of movement while I have the camera out and let me, you know, since it's so much based on photos, let's actually, you know, be able to do something with the photos. Yeah, th- those things didn't really bother me too much. But what I will say 
is that I do think the game is a little overpriced um, for how short it is because, I mean, ultimately, the, the game's great. Again, there, there's a lot yeah. of really good things to say about it. I love the message of the game and everything, but you're ultimately, you can 100% this game inside of four hours, probably. Um, I think I, I don't think it took me any longer than five hours to 100% the game. It's not very long. I think I beat it in two sittings. Like... It's it's not a long game whatsoever, um, and the game is twenty dollars. Uh, again, I do think it's just I think that is going to give people a little bit of sticker shock, considering just sort of the scope of the game. But um, definitely one if you if you don't feel comfortable spending that much on it, definitely one to wish list for sure. Yeah, yeah, because that one is gone. I've seen that one gone on sale uh, go on sale mm-hmm. a few times. Uh, so make sure to make sure to wish list all but a wildlife adventure from Ustwo. <laughs> the fine folks at Ustwo. The fine folks at Ustwo. Yes. I still can't believe I did that. I didn't see that. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, a few small misgivings aside, it's still really, really cool. It's a lot tighter than I thought it would be. There's a lot of really, you know, there's a lot of enjoyment that you can get out of the game. Just a good story. It's just it's just a good story about being a good person. And like I've said time and again, there's there aren't enough games that are just about being a good person. And and Alba is one of those games. Yeah. So if you're looking for something here at the beginning of the summer to help you get into that summer mindset and you've already taken all the pictures you can stand in Pokemon Snap, definitely <laughs> check out Alba, a wildlife adventure available now on the Nintendo Switch for $19.99. Again, wishlist it. It'll probably be on sale sooner than you think. But if you've checked it out, let us know what you think about the game. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. Join the conversation over on Discord. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it. And if you plan on picking it up, also let us know. Yeah, please do. But I mean, obviously, Pokemon Snap, the the NSO release of Pokemon Snap is huge. That's on a lot of people's minds. It's a big reason why we decided to cover Alba this week. But and and it's funny too because now we're looking for we're still waiting on that direct announcement we're still waiting on mm-hmm. you know what's what's coming next for the N64 app but i feel like a lot of people have sort of forgotten that you know there is another NSO expansion pack app that we should be thinking about too i mean yeah ever since the expansion pack was announced and we got all the announcements for the N64 games that we were going to get and the Sega Genesis games that we got and have been getting mm mm-hmm. mhm the Sega Genesis just keeps getting lost in the conversation when it comes to the NSO expansion pack. There's already some classics, some absolute classic Sega Genesis games that you can play as part of the Sega Genesis NSO app uh, on the expansion pack. And we certainly know it's Sega's favorite console because they keep (laughs) re-releasing the games in one form or another. But ironically enough, and weirdly enough, there are still a couple really good games deserving of a new audience really good games deserving of a new audience that we think it's finally time sega brought back on nintendo's hybrid platform and we are going to count down our favorites this week in the top five all right man the top five sega genesis games that we still need to hit the nso expansion pack what are the rules 
Well, for this, we are going to be talking about Sega Genesis games. We're not specifically just going to be talking about Sega Genesis games that aren't on the NSO. We are going to be talking because there's no point in adding several of the Sonic games to NSO when there's already right. several different ways that you can play them on the Nintendo Switch. We have so many different ways to play a ton of different Sega Genesis games on the Nintendo Switch, whether it come from the Sega Ages collection, whether it come from all the different uh, thousands of different Sega Genesis collections that uh, the company has released over the years, including the one on the Nintendo Switch, whether it comes from the NSO or whether it even comes from the different inexplicable remasters we've gotten for stuff like James Pond, for stuff like Snow Bros, for <laughs> stuff like Flashback, that game that recently got a sequel announced. Yeah. And of course, this past week's Sonic Origins, which is a big reason that we're thinking about the Sega Genesis NSO this week. So... If if there's a way to play it on the Nintendo Switch, we will not be including it. This is not just games that need to come to NSO. These are Sega Genesis games in general that finally need to see the light of day. We just think the NSO is the best platform for that. And going with my number five, there are so many licensed games from the 16-bit era just so, so many of them. And even though we don't have that really good remaster of Castle of Illusion, mm -hmm. I, did, I did think about that. Uh, we have, you know, talk about Sega Genesis games that have come from collections. We have Lion King and Aladdin and Jungle Book. We have the Genesis versions of those available on the Nintendo Switch as part of that Disney collection. I mean, heck, we've also got a couple of Genesis games coming soon from the the Cowabunga collection as well. There's a ton of ways to play Genesis games, but specifically when it comes to licensed games, there are a couple that have just been lost to time. And I'm not saying it's a masterpiece, but I have always had an incredibly soft spot in my heart for the Page Master. Ah, oh, man. Love the Page Master. I never played the game, though. Dude, the movie got destroyed by yeah, critics. If you look up the actual reviews for the Page Master, legit like three and fours out of tens. The critics hated the Page Master, but I love it. I absolutely I love that movie. Macaulay Culkin, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Patrick Leonard Stewart. Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. What? A, or not... Not Patrick Stewart, Leonard Nimoy. But what a cast. What a cast. Now, Patrick Stewart's in it, too. Patrick Stewart's Oh, that's right. The, he was um, Adventure. He was Adventure. He was the Adventure yeah. book. Yep. yep. Leonard, who was... Oh, Leonard Nimoy was uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yep. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. And Dude, that scene, that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scene scared me so much when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't seen The Page Master, definitely, definitely go back and check it out. A, a lost, a hidden gem for sure. But just like every other kid's movie around that time, it wound up getting a video game action platformer adaptation. This is exactly what we're talking about with stuff like Jungle Book and, you know, Lion King and all of those other Disney style action platformers around that time. All the tropes are still here. But I mean, the reason we play licensed games is to be able to play as those characters, to be able to transport ourselves into that world. And I, yeah, I still would really like to see the Page Master come back. I would very much like to reinsert myself 
into that world man what a cool movie yeah i I love that movie i've never played the game i would certainly that that would be a an exciting announcement for me if they brought that over i'd love to play that yeah (laughs) patrick stewart's pixelated voice match (laughs) oh yeah they probably did have to get voice matches in there for that huh i'm sure they did i i don't know but i I can't imagine (laughs) oh geez well, going into my number five, this is one that, and, and I just have to say before I get into beginning my list, that um, the Sega Genesis has never really been a touchstone of my childhood. I didn't have a Genesis growing up. Um, I've talked about my childhood friend Justin on the show before. It was kind of, I was the Nintendo kid and he had everything else. He was the one that had the, you know, the Saturn, the Dreamcast, the Genesis, the PlayStation, you know, I, I was Nintendo exclusive until PS2 and original Xbox. So, um, and, and then I've, I've more or less remained Nintendo exclusive throughout the rest of my life. I, I've had other consoles, but I've always been the Nintendo kid. Um, so some of the games on my list, I haven't even played. Um, there, there are some, you know, most of them I have, but there are a couple entries on my list that I haven't played. Um, and, and certainly not until much later in my life. Um, but that's all the more reason I want to see them come to the, um, to the Sega Genesis app, but my number five and shout out to our friend, Chris Logal, Chris HL 94. Oh God, you're doing it. I I have to just shout out for my number five NHL 94. (laughs) Now I've never played the Genesis version of NHL 94. I actually have the game on super Nintendo. I, I own it on super Nintendo and it's a great game. It is pretty inarguably the definitive hockey game for many, many people in terms of just that roster, like especially me being a Blackhawks fan, like that was definitely like a really great representation of a great era for the Chicago Blackhawks. Like, especially like the, the rise of like Jeremy Roenick, like he, in, in interviews, he has credited NHL 94 for being like, one of the reasons like he he's one of the best players in NHL 94 and he got a lot of fame due to this game and he is credited in interviews NHL 94 <laughs> for kind of propping up his uh his jersey on the masthead so so shout out to Jeremy Roenick but um yeah it's just a great game just a great arcade sports title and EA seems to have a total unwillingness in inexplicably to bring NHL 94 rewind, which was a kind of remaster that they did for PS4 and Xbox one. They have refused to bring it over to the Nintendo switch. I, I have no why? idea why I have why? no idea why. Um, because like, like Chris HL 94 would buy 10 copies just himself. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I just, I had to shout that game out. It's, it's a legitimately great game. It and is, yeah. I, I almost feel like getting the Sega Genesis version on the NSO app might actually be the best chance we have to see it on Switch at this point. We'll see. When, especially when it comes to sports games on the Nintendo Switch, mm-hmm. there were a few sports franchises that went weirdly long. There's sports franchises on the Nintendo Switch, sports franchises on the Genesis. I mean, there yeah. were a few sports franchises that went weirdly long on the Genesis to this day, it blows my mind that NBA Live 1998 mm. came out for the Sega Genesis. 98, we were a year removed from the Dreamcast, and they were still releasing sports games on the Genesis. That will never not blow my mind. Yeah. 
it was, I mean, that that's still, I mean, that was the story even for like NES and Super Nintendo getting these really late entries, you know? Yeah. And that, I mean, that wasn't a, I don't want to get off on a tangent here. That wasn't a, a 16 bit thing either. How right. long did they go with Madden on the PlayStation <laughs> two and Xbox? <laughs> I think they're still making it <laughs> on PS2 and making, Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> Madden all play 2022 for the Nintendo Wii. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but going into my number four, uh, the next couple entries on my list, I'm not a huge puzzle guy, but there are a couple classic puzzle games from yesteryear, from the 16-bit era, that I think absolutely deserve a new audience. And my number four, the first of my two puzzle entries on my list, is Clax. Oh, you know I love Clax. Clax is a really good, really unique puzzle game. Like many puzzle games, it is a match three, but it's got a really unique hook to it. It's got a really interesting hook to it. You have these, basically you have the blocks that roll in from the background of the stage. And mm-hmm. in order to even place them into the different stacks, you actually have to catch them as they're coming into the foreground. That's another fail state is if you, if you don't successfully catch them as they're coming forward uh, if you drop too many of them, then that's another fail state. But you match three, either uh, horizontally, vertically, or diagonally. You get more points. Uh, I, I think doing it vertically, you get 500 points. I think horizontally, you get 1,000. And I think diagonally, you get 5,000. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, this little platform, this little claw, this little... Uh, I can't remember exactly what they called, but the little apparatus that you use to catch the blocks, you can actually hold a stack of blocks on there so that you can actually plan out how you work things. Say you see two or three blocks coming down the way, and that's the one you actually want to put down first. You can stack up blocks on your little block grabbing apparatus, and then you can you can lay them however you want to. You can stack, I think, up to five blocks. You can hold up to five blocks and then stack them from the top down. It's just, I'm, I'm explaining it terribly. I understand that. But it is a really cool, especially when it comes to uh, match three puzzle type games, it's still a unique take on the genre that definitely deserves a re-release in my opinion. Yeah, Clax was, uh, it was on my list for the arcade games that I'd like to see come back. Um, yeah. I I love Clax, and I've, I've never played the Sega Genesis version. I've only ever played the arcade version of Clax, but that game's great. Like, that was Atari's attempt at kind of making a follow-up to Tetris. Um, they were in a legal dispute with Tetris at the time, yep. and uh, and they were kind of trying to make the next big thing with Clax and it didn't really land the same way that, um, that Tetris did. But I mean, look, it, it is the nineties and there's time for Clax is one of my favorite <laughs> written lines in video game history. <laughs> it is. And the Genesis version holds up really well. This wasn't something that needed to run buttery smooth necessarily, but for a 16 bit console, it looks really good and it performs really well. Yeah. That, that I would be so hyped for Clax. That, that would be great. Um, my number four is a weird one. This is an entry of my list. I've never played this game, but I've always wanted to. And that's why I'd love to see it come to the Sega Genesis app. My number four is The Ooze. 
<laughs> the ooze. Not TMNT's secret of the ooze, just the ooze. <laughs> no, just the ooze. So for those who are unfamiliar with the ooze, um, they they have released this in, like, I think the Sonic Mega Collection Plus has it. But, that um, was it a was, really good collection. Yeah, but it was it was the same... Um, it was the same team that ended up making Sonic Spinball uh, that made the ooze. So, I mean, this was a Sega internal team that made this, but it's this weird sort of like B horror movie vibe where you play as this scientist who like has this failed experiment in a chemical plant where he turns into like this puddle of ooze and you essentially have to like move around. It's almost like a, like a prototype of like carrion or something like, okay. Carrying like having, from Devolver Digital, where you play as that basically the thing horror monster. Yeah, essentially, like having to sort of like increase the size of your ooze, using the ooze to move around, kind of solving puzzles with the ooze. Um, you, you know, you have to worry about the size of your ooze because you can like, you know, kind of spit some of it to, to solve certain puzzles, but you have to pay attention to because the size of your ooze is also like the health bar. Um, yep. If you reduce yourself too small, you will die and you'll leave yep. your head exposed and die. Um, That's definitely carrying. Yeah. So like it's, it's a pretty interesting um, gameplay loop and, and kind of an, you know, when you, when you look back at 1995, when this game came out, it's kind of an innovative little, uh, little project and one of the programmers was mark cerny of um you know now he's of playstation fame and he's set the world on fire and everything so it's got kind of cool like history within sega as a brand and um i just i think it'd be really cool to see the ooze hit the uh genesis app i, w- I would like to play it i want to play some of these weirder games like the ooze well speaking of weird games i'm going with my number three the second puzzle entry on my list is a puzzle franchise that was everywhere in the early 90s and then just seemed to immediately die and has never been talked about since for some reason. My number three is Lemmings 1 and 2. Ah, yeah. The console ports, specifically the Genesis ports, were actually really good for Lemmings 1 and 2, Lemmings 2 The Tribes. They were really good for Lemmings 1 and 2. And for those who don't know what Lemmings is, the, the the easiest corollary I can make is Mario versus Donkey Kong Minis on the Move, where you basically have these uh, automated characters kind of yeah. walking in a straight line and you try to adjust the environment, you try to affect the environment to make sure that they are that they get to where they're supposed to get. But as opposed to directly messing with the environment, as in a lot of Mario vs. Donkey Kong games, what you can do with the lemmings is you can actually give the lemmings individual jobs so that they can build boards and bridges to get across gaps so that they can bomb uh, obstacles and you know things that are blocking their path so that they can do whatever they need to do to get from the start of the stage to the end of the stage. And fun fact about lemmings, Lemmings comes to us from DMA Design. Mm -hmm. A lot of people may not really know who DMA Design is. They did change their name. They changed it to, what was it? Oh, yeah. Rockstar. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the people who make Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption once made a really bizarre puzzle game about essentially the characters from Fraggle Rock. Yeah. 
And and they also made a game that I really love on N sixty four called Space Station Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um. That that I would like you know anecdotally I would like to see that come to the N sixty four app. <laughs> but yeah, Lemmings was a really interesting puzzle game that the the franchise just died to death for no reason. Even though I think even within the realm of puzzle games, it's still a really unique design. I would have absolutely loved to have seen what that series could have evolved into with new gameplay implements and new gameplay evolution over the years. That's a series just in general, I would like to see come back. I've never been again, a, a first day puzzle guy for a lot of games, even though I'm super excited to play a luckhead this weekend, but Lemmings was just such, it was one of the biggest franchises. I know it's hard to imagine, but legitimately it was one of the biggest franchises on the planet for a couple years when it hit that sweet spot of, you know, PC and console re-releases because it was released on everything, absolutely everything. A ton of platforms that don't even, that people don't even remember anymore stuff like the Amiga and multiple different PC and computer platforms in the late eighties and early nineties lemmings was on absolutely everything. And then for some reason, after a couple games, it just like everybody just forgot it existed and immediately moved on. Hashtag justice for lemmings. (laughs) Hashtag justice for lemmings. Get that trending on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Let's bring it back. Come on, Rockstar. That needs to be your next game. Forget GTA 6. Forget all this DLC and Red Dead Online. That's where the money is. I was going to say GTA 6, dude, they're still supporting GTA 5. So maybe yeah. you're maybe you're more likely to see some uh, Lemmings DLC in GTA 5 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm down. <laughs> Well, going into my number three, um, this is a game that's very near and dear to my heart from a little developer that I I wonder if we might have some more to say about a little bit later in the show. A little developer by the name of Treasure um, that is very near and dear to my heart. Now, I, I haven't really had the opportunity to talk about this too much on the show, but I have got an enormous love for McDonald's. Um And I don't just mean like the food or whatever. I have a huge nostalgia for my childhood and McDonald's. I mean, people kind of forget that before McDonald's became what it is today, which is kind of like, uh, they're just a little bit classier today than they were when we were kids. Like (laughs) McDonald's definitely tried to, like you don't really see Ronald McDonald anymore. You know, like kids today might not literally even know who Ronald McDonald is. Um, And he was an icon when we were kids. So when it came time to make a licensed McDonald's video game, they (laughs) gave it to this little upstart company named Treasure on the Sega Genesis. This was Treasure's second game ever. Um, And it was actually being made at the same time as their, arguably their breakout game, Gunstar Heroes, um, which is on the Sega Genesis app, of course. And it's kind of funny because you can sort of see the bones of Gunstar Heroes in McDonald's Treasureland Adventure. The gameplay is ultimately pretty different, but it is still that sort of like action platformer, weirdly a shooter, although Ronald McDonald isn't like firing a gun. He's firing out like little bursts of like magic or whatever. Um, he has these like magical gemstones and he fires out like pixie dust and the whole conceit of the game is finding gems and money all around. It's, it's almost like 
a prototypical, not just Gunstar Heroes, but Wario World, weirdly, um, that takes place inside of McDonald Land. And you've got all the characters. You've got Grimace. You've got Bernie. The Hamburglar. Hamburglar. Yeah, Yeah, they're all here. They're all here. And I just, I really loved this game when I was a kid. It just, like, we could do a whole episode of Side Quest someday just about my love and nostalgia (laughs) for McDonald's. We really could. I just, yeah, I had all the VHSs as a kid. I loved, like, McDonald's used to give out these little um, cassette tapes that were kind of like McDonald's radio plays. I loved all that stuff. I, I just, you know, no pun intended, I ate that stuff up. And, <laughs> um, and, and you know, McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure was just a, a genuinely special game to me in my childhood playing that one. <laughs> And I know a lot of people are probably like, wow, McDonald's got a licensed game. Like I was mm-hmm. talking about earlier, ladies and gentlemen, in the 16-bit era, everything, everything got a licensed game. McDonald's wasn't even the only fast food property that got licensed games. Cool Spot from 7-Up. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the Yo Noid from Yo Domino's. Noid. Yep. Yeah, I think Pepsi Man. It wasn't on 16-bit, but Pepsi Man got a licensed <laughs> There were a lot, a lot of licensed games back in the 16-bit era. It wasn't just Disney and, and WB. Everybody was trying to cash in on that sweet video game dollar. And there are some weird, weird developers that have some bizarre licensed games in their CV. But going into my number two, it's my fighting game slot. Because, of course... <laughs> And I'm not going to talk about Primal Rage. I talked about that recently. As a matter of fact, talking about uh, the top five arcade games that we'd like to see come back. Um, you, you mentioned Clax earlier. But there are a couple fighting games worth talking about. Even though the Sega Genesis wasn't really the best console for fighting games, specifically because of its three-button layout. Right. It was just so weird because so many fighting games had a four or a six button layout where it came to uh, like low punch and high punch, low kick and high kick, or strong punch and weak punch and strong kick and weak kick, and then run or block or whatever. Basically, a three button setup was really bizarre for fighting games. So stuff like, even though we had stuff like Mortal Kombat, even though we had stuff like Street Fighter 2, you could really make the argument that the Genesis wasn't really the best console to play them on. But there is one fighting game. There is one fighting game that I really just want to see come back. It's I don't think it's going to happen because it is very mature, but that's specifically why I would like to see it come back. There are a lot of very interesting footnotes in the fighting renaissance from the mid-90s. And my number two... Eternal Champions is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting. I don't know if I've ever even heard of this one. So there's a few things that set Eternal Champions apart. One is the actually weirdly, incredibly nuanced and well thought out story of the game. Okay. As as opposed to just saying, hey, there's a tournament. There's an actual like reason for this big fantasy tournament. It turns out that this, I can't remember what the name of the, but basically this all powerful guy uh, is trying to maintain the balance between good and evil within the universe. And he notices that nine people were killed before their time were killed before they could affect the future, 
were killed before they could have their stamp on the balance of the universe. So what he does is he plucks them from moments before their death and pits them to say, you know, I have the power to give life back to one of you. You have to prove who is worthy enough for it. And you have fighters from different eras. You've got, and of course, they all have the most 90s names ever, like Rax and Blade and stuff like that. But you have fighters from different eras. You've got a big caveman because, of course, you've got Cyborg and uh, like a Roman warrior and stuff like that. But when it comes to Eternal Champions, ultimately, the big talking point is the fatalities. Because after Mortal Kombat came out, most fighting games had some type of finishing move. We talked about Primal Rage and their finishing moves. I, I mean, you could throw a you could throw a rock inside of an arcade, and you'd probably hit a fighting game that had fatalities or finishing moves in it. And but the ones in Eternal Champions are specifically called overkills. And even by today's standards, even by the Mortal Kombat standards of today, some of these overkills, even Mortal Kombat 11 would look at and be like, you know what? That's a little much. (laughs) There are some really interesting, some really gruesome fatalities. They're all stage based. They're all they all have to do with the environment you're in. But if you're old enough, I do actually recommend checking out a a YouTube compilation of all the different overkills in eternal champions. It's a watch. It's a watch. I'm not, I'm not saying the game itself, you know, much like the page master, I'm not saying the game itself is a masterpiece, but for the narrative considerations and for those insane overkills, I want to make sure that eternal champions gets preserved. Nice. Yeah, fair enough. I, I would certainly, I would certainly be interested in checking that out if it does come over. Um, going into my number two, though, this is another one that I've never played. Um, but I've played weirdly the like latest iteration of it. it it's, it's weird. Let me explain myself. So on the Xbox 360, there was a time, and I've talked about this on the show before when Xbox live arcade first kind of came out, I was buying literally everything that came out on Xbox live arcade. I'm not exaggerating. I bought it all. Every game that was ever released from a period of a few years, I was buying all of it. Um, Sight unseen, despite the fact that when a game named Rocket Knight came out, Mm. I had no idea what it was. And it turned out it was kind of the latest in a series that began on the Sega Genesis with Rocket Knight Adventures, a game to this day I have not played. However, I loved Rocket Knight on XBLA. Yeah. Like I had such a good time with that game. Oh, Sparkster. Yeah, for for those who don't know, Sparkster is this he's actually supposed to be an opossum, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't really know. I don't really know. He's this opossum with like a jetpack and and like a sword. Um he's got like uh he's got a gun, he's got like a drill attack. He's it's basically a combat platformer. Um, but just like with a ton of like charm and personality and they, they ended up making rocket Knight adventures on Sega Genesis. Then it got a sequel called Sparkster rocket Knight adventures two. 
And then this one that was on XBLA was kind of like a 2.5D like revival of it that Konami did. And the series has sort of been on ice ever since. This came out in 2010. So I would love the opportunity to go back. I mean, this is not a game that's been re-released a ton of times. I would love the opportunity to go back and play this one um, in its sort of original form. We've uh, had little references to Sparkster and Rocket Knight and little spinoffs and stuff like this, but we we haven't had like a, a proper True Blue re-release of Rocket Knight Adventures, and I, I'd love the opportunity to go back and play it. Uh, but before we get into our number ones, do we have some honorable mentions? You know, actually, yes. Uh, for this list, I actually looked over literally every game that came out for the Sega Genesis, for the Sega Mega Drive, and... Weirdly enough, there's actually quite a few games that I would like to see re-released that didn't quite make the list because of one reason or another. I did think about Rocket Knight Adventures. I thought about, I actually have kind of a soft spot in my heart for the 16-bit Pitfall, Pitfall My Adventure, but that's ultimately like a copy and paste of every licensed Disney action platformer that came out around that time. I legit think it uses the same engine. Mm. So if I had the choice between that and page master, I was going to page master bomberman 94. I'd actually like to see re-released, even though we already have, in my opinion, a very good core bomberman game on the Nintendo switch. I'd like to see, I'd really like to see mega man, the Wily wars re-released. I know we've got the legacy collection, but Wily Wars, for those who don't know, there was a straight up Mega Man All-Stars release yeah. for the Sega Mega Drive, for the Genesis. That's really cool. LRG just did a retro re-release of it, but there's still no way to play it on the Nintendo Switch or basically like any Nintendo platform. That would be amazing. But because we have the Legacy Collection 1, I didn't put it on my list. Uh, speaking of other licensed action platformers, I think... I would love to see Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow. I would love to see that one come back. Oh, wow. I played that on uh, on Super Nintendo. Yeah. I'd like to see, talking about arcade sports titles, NBA GM Tournament Edition. If that's the only way we can get it, then give it to us that way. Mutant League Football. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that come back. That actually Mutant League used- Hockey, too. Yeah, yeah Mutant League Hockey. I think, I think Mutant League Football and Mutant League Hockey actually used the the engines from madden and from nhl they did yeah and then just because you know (laughs) just because i want to see the lethal enforcers genesis version (laughs) come (laughs) i just i just think that would be funny I just think that would be funny. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up Maui Mallard because it, it reminded me of an incredible omission. Like, consider this my de facto number six, Quackshot. Quackshot, I, yeah. <laughs> I love Quackshot. I brought Quackshot up randomly in conversation with you like a few months ago. I just randomly was thinking about Quackshot. I love that game. That's a great game. That's one. And I think that was actually only on Genesis. And I think they did a Saturn port at some point. But um, but I love right. Quackshot. What I, a great game. I think there might have been an N64. I don't know. I'm not sure. But but yeah, I, I love Quackshot. That's, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, Donald Duck, basically. Um, it's great. Uh, for me, again, this this couldn't really be on my list. And it's been re-released, you know, to heck and back. But I, I just, I love Comic Zone. Like, yeah. I can't have a Genesis conversation without at least mentioning Comic Zone. 
I mean, again, it's been re-released. I think it's even literally available on the Switch. It is. It is. It's part of that. It's part of that Genesis Classics collection that's on the Nintendo Switch. It's not on the NSO app, and if they want to add it to the NSO expansion pack, more ways to play. That is a hard game too. My it is hard. Word. It is hard. It would benefit from the rewind function and that's, save states that's true. and stuff. But so. easily, easily one of the most visually striking games on the on the console. Still, yeah. I mean, it still looks gorgeous. There's nothing that looks quite like comic zone I, I have a huge fondness for that game and then you sort of mentioned it earlier but but i really love like mickey castle of illusion mm-hmm. um great game and and that's one that i would like to see and they, they did that awesome sort of remake of it that'd yeah. be great to see but i'd love even just the original on the genesis app yeah disney i think you got a few more collections to make i think you've got a few <laughs> more a uh, few more game compilations that we need to see from you so so if you could get to that that would be really nice thank you very get much. on it yes <laughs> uh but going into my number one my number one is actually kind of obscure but it's a very very good game an incredibly underrated arcade game that had a really good genesis port the sequel to bubble bobble bubble bobble 2 rainbow islands oh okay i discovered this game ironically enough when i had a week free trial to gamefly and i started playing it and i actually played through the entire game in one sitting i got completely addicted to that game you play as bub and bob but instead of being bubble dragons this time they are humans called bubby and bobby okay And instead of throwing out bubbles, you have the ability to create little arcing rainbows directly in front of yourself. And you can, you use them both as an attack and as platforms to get higher. So you can actually hit enemies with them or you can trap enemies underneath them. If you hit enemies with them, then they'll turn into fruit. If you trap enemies underneath them and then jump on the rainbows, it will collapse the rainbows and any enemies uh, underneath it will, you'll get big points for. But instead of just being kind of like just a bunch of random disjointed arcade stages, it's an actual campaign. You go through actual design stages through actual video game worlds to the end with actual boss fights. It is a criminally underrated, criminally underrepresented game that's a ton of fun because just the core mechanic is incredibly simple, but it works so well because it's both an attack and a traversal mechanic. And you have to make sure you plan it correctly because you can directly walk onto the rainbows to get to higher because they arc. You can use them to get to higher platforms. However, if you jump on them, they collapse. So you've got to make sure you know exactly what you're doing because if you jump at the wrong time, you'll collapse your own platform and fall to whatever's underneath you, which oftentimes probably isn't good. I've talked to maybe two people in my life that have actually played that game, but it's a really, really good, uh, really, really good arcade style game. And specifically the Mega Drive, the, the Genesis version is Rainbow Islands Extra which has a mode in it, which it doesn't do, it doesn't completely change the game around, but it does change up a lot of the enemy placement and it just does change up the boss order. 
And that was like a rare addition they made to some of the arcade games that were out, some of the arcade cabinets that were out in the wild. But that version, the extra version, only made it to the Sega Genesis version of the of the games when it came to the console ports. So I would adore seeing Rainbow Islands Extra come to the Sega Genesis NSO on the Nintendo Switch because you want to talk about like you want to talk about games that really deserve to get a new audience. I really think that one deserves a second chance. I think if people have the opportunity to try it out, I mean, I may just be rose tinted glasses. Fair enough. I haven't had enough conversations with other people who have played the game. I just know that I was quite Twitter pated with the game when I played it myself. That's a Bambi reference for all you young kids out there. <laughs> I I really, really liked Rainbow Islands. I would very, very much like to see that game come back. The Rainbow Islands extra version of the game come back on the Sega, Mini, uh, Sega Genesis NSO app. Yes, please. And thank you, Taito. Nice. Yeah, I'd, I'd love the chance to play. I love Bubble Bobble. I've never played that one. So yeah, it plays cool. very differently from Bubble Bobble. The vibes are still there, but yeah. the rainbow mechanic works very differently than the bubbles. Although, like I said, the vibes are still obviously there. But yeah, Rainbow Islands, look it up. <laughs> nice. Well, my, my number one is a weird one. Um... And this is one that I didn't get the opportunity to play until it released on the Wii Virtual Console. It should really, I mean, the the Wii Virtual Console was amazing. Like, mm-hmm. just being able to play some of this stuff for the first time was, was fantastic. Um, and this one has a really interesting kind of development history, and it's a really, like, weird story and everything. And when it was distributed in North America, it was via, like, the Sega Channel very kind of weird that the game was basically destined to fail, but it's a phenomenal game that I would love more people to have the opportunity to play. My number one is pulse man, pulse man, not vector man, not vector man at all. No pulse man, which is essentially kind of like the Sega Genesis slash mega drive version of mega man. Um, not only do I think it's the best looking game on the platform, like by far, like the, the art is beautiful. The music is, is beautiful. The gameplay it's, it's a running gun kind of like action platformer, but you play as this, you know, little kind of mega man looking kid who has the ability to kind of like navigate through this digitized world, um, by way of like electricity and moving through like wires in the environment. So it almost has like a mega man meets Sonic, kind of vibe because there's definitely an element of like speed to the gameplay. It's really wonderful. Um, despite the fact that the story is like really kind of bizarre and like weirdly dark, it's kind of like Mega Man in that way where if you actually consider the plot, it's, it's a little bit more dark than you might expect. Um, the plot a lot like Mega Man follows this scientist, you know, computer engineer. I don't remember his name, But he essentially creates this like artificial intelligence, this woman that he falls in love with and then uploads himself digitally, like takes his consciousness and uploads it to 
the the digital space to basically like marry and be in love with this AI that he's created. And then they have a human child. Some like you do. It's just one of those standard love stories. Exactly. And they have they have this child who is somehow like part computer, part human, named Pulseman. And being in the digital world for so long, the the scientist's like mind gets corrupted. He ends up kind of taking over the digital elements of the world, and basically you have to like commit patricide you basically have to like stop your crazy father from taking over the world it's it's a really bizarre story but i think that like the the thing that might perk many people's ears up much like how you shouted out dma design um and their rock star kind of heritage making lemmings this game's made by game freak um this game was made actually before even the pokemon series uh, this is kind of a precursor to Pokemon. It's all the same people that you know from the Pokemon team. You've got Ken Sugimori. You've got Junichi Masuda. You know, all these people that would go on to make Pokemon made this weird little game called Pulseman. And um, it's great. Like, it's genuinely great. And I believe the Wii Virtual Console release back in 2009 is the most recent, like, playable form of Pulseman. And that's kind of a shame. It's it's genuinely really good, and that would be the that would be the announcement if they somehow got that over on the uh, Sega Genesis NSO expansion pack app. That would be the one that would get me the most hyped. So, moral of the story: there's still some really good Sega Genesis games out there, and let's go ahead and just bring them all to the Nintendo Switch so that Sega can finally move on and start giving us re-releases from the 32X and the Saturn and the Dreamcast. Right. Yeah, we've like look, there's some great Genesis games, but enough's enough, man. Like yeah. <laughs> you let's you've made just, you did make more consoles than that. Let's bring all this stuff over. These games need to come over. They need new audiences, but also yes, part of this is is inspired by the fact that okay, let's move on past the Sega Genesis Sega. We know you love it. We know it's amazing. Bring all these games on and then let's start getting re-releases of stuff like Space Channel 5. And I know we're not going to be getting licensed music for Crazy Taxi, but let's get Sonic Adventure. Let's get, you know, some other stuff, Mm -hmm. please. But are there any Sega Genesis games that you would love to see finally make their way to the Nintendo Switch, whether it's through NSO or through remakes or whatever, let us know what Genesis games you think need to come to modern consoles. Reach out to us on Facebook, reach out to us on Twitter, join the conversation over on Discord, and let's talk some Sega Genesis. I know there's a ton of I know there's a ton of diamonds in the rough in that console's library. Bring them all over. Let us know what ones you want to bring on. But You know, you talked about Treasure a little earlier. There's actually Mm -hmm. several Treasure games already on the Sega Genesis NSO app. We already have Gunstar Heroes. We already have Dynamite Heady. And, I mean, it makes sense considering that Treasure is one of the greatest video game developers of all time. They have quite a few classics under their belt. And turns out this past week, they just celebrated their 30th anniversary congratulations treasure definitely definitely a studio worth celebrating 
Yes, we have been basically looking for a reason to look back at 30 years of treasure. This is the perfect opportunity, especially since they're teasing an announcement coming soon Mm -hmm. uh, in celebration of their 30th anniversary. But uh, I mean, man, what better chance to look back at 30 years of one of the greatest developers, um, really of all time, certainly one of my favorites. I mean, what a better opportunity to celebrate 30 years of treasure. So, gamers of a certain age will remember Treasure as one of the greatest video game developers of all time. Mm -hmm. It's a developer that we haven't really had a lot of cause to think about in recent years, especially on the Nintendo side of things. However, with Treasure, with the company celebrating their 30th anniversary this past week, they decided to tease a fairly large announcement, a forthcoming big announcement from Treasure in celebration of three decades of amazing games that we assume we will find out about the still-presumed forthcoming Nintendo Direct. Uh, I I would very, very much love to see a brand new treasure game on a Nintendo console because, uh, guys, they've got some history. Oh, yeah. And celebrating 30 years of treasure, it's time we reminded some of y'all who we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, treasure. I mean, what, what a legendary developer who made some legendary games like some of some of the very best arcade style games. I mean, nobody understands yeah. game feel quite the way Treasure does. And and we'll certainly get into all of that, but I, I think w- what we should start this off with maybe is talking about that announcement a little bit because they put out a tweet this past week that sort of sent the internet into a little bit of a fervor thinking about this. <laughs> yes. So... The translated version of the tweet, and yes, I know, based on what we talked about earlier, maybe we can't 100% uh, trust translated tweets from Japanese. But here's the translated tweet from Treasure. Uh, On 19 June 2022, Treasure Company Limited celebrated its 30th anniversary. This year, the 30th anniversary, we are working hard to announce the highly requested, quote, that end quote title. We look forward to your continued support of treasure. Yeah. So that title, that title could mean many things when it comes to treasure. It could certainly mean many things because they have quite a storied catalog, very much like rare. They have made some stone cold classics in quite a few different genres. The company itself started up back in 1992, made up largely of ex Konami employees. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, ex Konami employees who were just kind of getting bored with making 15 different, uh, TMNT games, oddly enough, (laughs) making 15 different Castlevania games. Uh, They decided to branch off and do their own thing, thinking that gamers wanted new IPs, that they wanted new and fresh ideas within the industry. So they uh, branched off and created their own company with their very first game being Gunstar Heroes. And that's certainly a way for a new video game developer to make an impression. Yeah, what's really interesting, there are a couple of really interesting things about sort of the the way the treasure started up because 
I, I think it's really telling of just sort of the vibe of the entire company. I mean, they were essentially an, an indie game developer at that point. Like, yeah. like the way we think of indie game devs today is kind of what young, scrappy, and hungry treasure was back then. Like, mm-hmm. they started up just over 10 people ex-Konami employees that were sort of bored of working on, like you said, not another TMNT game. And it's like, cool, let's make something new. Let's be literally a treasure to the video game industry. And when, when they came out, like they were working on not just Gunstar Heroes, but they were working on McDonald's Treasureland Adventure, which I talked about just a little while ago. Um, but they actually chose to hold back. They finished McDonald's Treasureland Adventure first, but chose to hold back because it was important to them that their debut game on the Sega Genesis be something entirely original. And I think that alone, to, to have that much gumption from a new studio of like, you know what? It's very important that our our debut game is a brand new IP and is going to essentially be a defining game for the Sega Genesis. I mean, I, I just think that's so cool. I think that's such a neat kind of uh, ideology to start your little startup team around. Now, that being said, I mean, obviously, these are people that have already been in the industry. This is yeah. not a small dev team making their first game. Gunstar Heroes was just simply the first game under their new banner of Treasure. Previously, the people who worked, the people who joined Treasure, had worked on classics like the Simpsons arcade game, Super Castlevania Four, Contra, Axelay, and stuff like that. So again... Uh, these are people who had already established strong credentials within the industry. Yeah, not newbies. Just going off and doing. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly not newbies. You know, first game as a new label, very different than their first game period. These guys cut their teeth pretty hard at Konami before going off and doing their own thing. Konami taught them quite a few very good lessons that they would put to incredibly lucrative use over the over the following Uh, years. And one of the things I did like about Treasure's approach was they did, and this is something I always saw, you know, this quote, this mentality that I always saw about the company is they weren't necessarily chasing the surefire, you know, financial success. No, not at all. They wanted they wanted to make games they thought were cool to play. That's why we don't have 15 different Gunstar Hero games. That's why we don't have 15 different, as much as I wish, 15 different Astro Boy Omega Factor <laughs> sequels. They, I mean, they worked on a lot of licensed games to pay the bills, but they didn't, you know, they weren't sequel baiting everything. They had a cool idea and they said, you know what? Let's expand on that cool idea. They weren't constantly saying, well, this made us a lot of money. Let's just do this same thing ad nauseum, which I mean is good considering that's the entire reason they left Konami in the first place. You do see a lot of people that find their own voice, that find their own quote unquote philosophy. And then once they become successful with that, very quickly abandon said philosophy. I've seen it happen in the industry quite a few times, unfortunately. But these guys, I mean, Treasure was always something special from day one. Yeah, they're, the the corollary that I draw to, um, the, the comparison that, that I make in my own head to another developer with Treasure is actually way forward. Um because oh yeah i can see that because way forward has a similar tactic of like they're at least when way forward started a fairly small team where it's like you know what like we'll do these license projects to keep the lights on 
but we'll you know we'll we'll take that money and we'll use it to make original stuff that is kind of like for us and that ends up being the beloved thing and you know we kind of bemoan today the scale that way forward's grown to and the fact that they're still you know whipping out a bakugan game from time to time but <laughs> but hey still the 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 point stands like in in those early days they they kind of had a similar tactic so while you had something like McDonald's Treasureland Adventure you mentioned Astro Boy we'll we'll talk much more about Astro Boy later mm-hmm. um, Tiny Toons Adventures and stuff you know, they, they had these kind yeah. of they made a Yu Yu Hakusho game early on these licensed kind <laughs> of games to keep the lights on at the same time you better believe they're working on Gunstar Heroes and Dynamite Heady and Alien Soldier and Light Crusader you know. So yeah, and ultimately, ironically enough, like everything coming full circle, they actually did Gradius Five. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Which, because Gradius is a Konami franchise. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about ex Konami employees who were tired of making sequels? <laughs> everything comes full circle. I'm not saying you know. Uh, I just talked about how they stuck to their guns about not making sequel after sequel. But I do think it's funny that they did circle back around to a Konami property to make the fifth iteration of one of their most famous series. I do think that's a, a pretty potent piece of irony within Treasure's history. Yeah, well, at that point, they had already... I mean, you look at their just sheer amount of output from... Gunstar yeah. Heroes in 1993 to Gradius V in 2004. I mean, the amount of games that Treasure put out in that short period of time and just like that 11 years, like that, it, it's really, really impressive. And something that also struck me about Treasure is they've always been a multi-team studio, despite being yeah. relatively small, like even in their early days, like the second they finished Gunstar Heroes, they split their tiny team into four other mini teams to make Dynamite Heady, Yu Yu Hakusho, the mm-hmm. Yu Hakusho fighting game, Alien Soldier, and Light Crusader. All of those games released inside of a two-year period. Like, yeah. really crazy. And even though it's not a Gunstar Hero sequel, you can absolutely see that same Gunstar Hero, that same treasure vibe, that same treasure feel when you do play Alien Soldier. Mm-hmm. You play that for two seconds and you're like, oh, this is absolutely the same company. In the same way that many Nintendo games have that same kind of vibe, have that same kind of feel. There were some there were some different things with Alien Soldier. There were certainly a lot of similarities, but, you know... It, bringing that uh, connection back to way forward, how a lot of way forward games certainly have at least a lot of their original titles yeah. certainly have a similar vibe, a similar feel alien soldier, uh, dynamite heady was another one. And I mean, even the McDonald's thing, yeah, even that with their, this hugely flamboyant, incredibly vibrant art style. Granted that wasn't uh, rare necessarily on the 16 bit console, but there was still that treasure feel to the game. Yeah. That's just, that's so impressive to me. The way they sort of carried themselves, even in their sort of like adolescence, um, is super impressive to me. And yeah, like you look at McDonald's um, Treasure Land Adventure, and even that does have that treasure feel to it. Like even, they, they came in with such a clear vision for the kinds of games they wanted to make. And you don't always see that. And again, a lot of these people have been working in the industry for a while, but to just to just come out swinging the way that the treasure did, I, I think is really important and really impressive. And it's the way that they built up their pedigree coming into the 32-bit era. At this point, 
they are a, you know, pardon the pun, a treasured um, Sega developer. Like, they made mm-hmm. some of the premier games on the Sega Genesis. So when it came time to introduce Sega Saturn, I mean, you knew they had to be knocking on Treasure's door and, and giving them the ability to make Guardian Heroes. I've always wanted to play Guardian Heroes. I've never had the ability to play Guardian Heroes. It's fantastic. I mean, obviously, you... Yeah, you and I are big beat-em-up fans, obviously. We just talked about how much insane fun we had this past weekend with Sam and, and Andros on TMNT. We talked about all that and, you know, our love of Street to Rage 4. We, we're big beat-em-up fans here at All In. I really want the chance to play Guardian Heroes at some point. I've never been able to. They put it out on uh, XBLA. They they did like a yeah. like an XBLA version of it and it was fantastic. I don't know why that hasn't been released yeah. elsewhere. I don't know. It's it's this fantasy style beat 'em up with RPG elements. Uh it's it's so cool. Definitely check out Guardian Heroes if you somehow have the especially if you have a Sega Saturn. If you are one if of you the you somehow few have a Saturn. Yeah, the Sega Saturn owners, one of the few who's even seen the boot up screen for a Sega Saturn. Uh, find a way to play Guardian Heroes. Guardian Heroes is still, I think, one of the most beautiful games ever made. Like, I, if you just look at that game in motion, it is just breathtaking. The uh, the animation and just, like, the character designs. I adore that game. Um, and, and another game that they sort of made in that same era, and I've talked about this many, many mm-hmm. times on the show. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite N64 games is Mischief Makers. <laughs> of course it is. I love that See, stupid one of the game. things about Treasure, one of the things about Treasure is there are a couple games that Treasure is very famously known for, but I think ultimately you really could, you know, just kind of uh, bear Treasure down to kind of like the king of the cult classic. Yeah. You could describe so, so many of their titles as cult classics, even McDon- even the McDonald's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Gunstar Heroes is probably their most mainstream hit, but they have had so, so many really good games that when people start talking about them, they talk about how great a game they are. But so many of their games, again, owing to not chasing that dollar, trying to make primarily fun games as opposed to making primarily financially successful games so many of their games have aged well because of their hardcore small but vocal audiences yeah yeah there's just there's something about them too that like when i look at games like mischief makers and silhouette mirage and like these these games that are sort of like you know, it, it, if you go back to Mischief Makers today, which I, I w- I've gone back to it within the past year, I own that game physically. Um, nice. And like it, it doesn't like hold up all that well in many, many ways. But you could tell like the idea was so unique and so interesting, and like they just they're they're a complete individual. Even in this time, even when when that game came around, they had had a few games under their belt, even Ash Treasure. So. You know, they they still sort of had that that sense of identity that I really appreciate. You look at between Guardian Heroes, Silhouette Mirage, and Radiant Silver Gun. I mean, these are three premier games on the Sega Saturn. Three premier games that are wildly different from each other. Yes, very different. But Mischief Makers, I mean, it was such an it was such a novel concept. This whole idea of grabbing enemies and shaking shake, shake, them shake. that. 
Exactly. Yeah, you can <laughs> like there's some big games that have taken very clear influence from a lot of the stuff and a lot of the things that Treasure has tried to do. I think one of the big and most obvious examples is Wario Land Shake It. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really was just a spiritual successor uh, successor to Mischief Makers, frankly. At least that's the way it felt to me when I played it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And then you could kind of see in um in Silhouette Mirage, the it's it's a very kind of action, you know, 2D action platformer also, but Silhouette Mirage was sort of the genesis of the gameplay concept that they would wind up carrying forward into Ikaruga, which is like my favorite shoot 'em up of all time. Um basically this idea of having to swap between silhouette and mirage attacks and you know, you could only defeat enemies um, with the opposite effect, you know, like, um, silhouette enemies can only be defeated with mirage attacks and vice versa. Like that's a very unique concept to have in a, in a 2d action platformer. And again, it's the Genesis for what would end up becoming one of the most legendary shmups ever made. But speaking of legendary shooting games from the 32 bit and 64 bit consoles, I don't know if a lot of you out there realize it's Treasure who made Sin and Punishment. Mm-hmm. Yes, that game, that cult classic, that was one of the first drops on the N64 NSO that we just finished up and hopefully we'll be hearing more from and hopefully Mr. Makers will be part of the second wave of it. But I digress. But yeah, Sin and Punishment, that Sin and Punishment was made by Treasure, including the 2009 We follow-up. And the, yeah, I was just going to say, not only did they just come out of nowhere with a Wii follow-up, but it was, like, amazing. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Both of those games are amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's Buck Wild, man. Who does that? But that's another thing. I draw a lot of comparison to Rare, whereas sure. Rare is much more the the multi-genre, triple-A, mainstream king. I very much see treasure. I've always really seen treasure as like the more like the punk rock version of rare's rock and roll. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I could see that because treasure was never super mainstream. It always did kind of have that hint of underground feel to a lot of their games. Like a lot of the games were amazing, but they never really broke through the conversations around many of them have never completely died down, but they've never reached the levels of some of the other all-time classics, even though some of Treasure's games, frankly, deserve to be talked about in that same breath. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel about when, with like, with some of these games that, you know, the, if kind of, if you know, you know, like yep. what, what an early conversation that you and I had, one of those, like, did we just become best friends moments was, uh, <laughs> was about Astro Boy Omega Factor, um, Dude. which is an amazing game for the Game Boy Advance, like genuinely one of the best games on the platform. Yeah. A licensed game for the Game Boy Advance is genuinely, pun intended, one of my most treasured games I've ever owned. The whole reason I bought Astro Boy Omega Factor was because of X-Play. And yeah, gamers of a certain age will certainly remember back in the golden era of Adam Sessler and Morgan Webb's video game skit slash review vehicle X-Play back when it was legitimately one of the best shows on TV, especially for people like us. 
And, you know, but I respected their opinions when it came to games. And when they were viewed Astro Boy Omega Factor, I just expected it as another another review to help fill out the episode. One of the threes or maybe twos that dotted their CV. And then they just kept saying glowing thing after glowing thing about the game. And they gave it a five out of five. And in my, I was like, how in the world did a GBA Astro Boy game get a five out of five? And the very next time I was at the mall, I bought it and I played it and I was like, oh, that's how. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal game like that. That's a game that honestly deserves its own dedicated discussion one day. Um, yeah, because you, you talk about again, it's just like treasures understanding of like game feel like it's just like the mechanics and the feeling of playing that game. I mean, cause I, it's not like coming into that game. I didn't even have any like strong love for Astro boy as an IP. Like I've always respected it, but I'm not like some massive Astro boy fan, but like, yeah, neither was I, but that game is phenomenal. This sort of like mixture yeah. of like a beat em up shooter, Oh, yep. I love that game, man. Yeah. But hands down, the best handheld beat-em-up I've ever played. And yeah. honestly, one of the best handheld shooters I've ever played. A An insane, an insane, but endlessly interesting time travel story. And the fact that you had a bunch of different, which was kind of rare for these types of games at the time, you had a bunch of different uh, attacks and stats that you could individually augment. Yeah. And it just felt so good to play. It just felt so good to play. It was, again, a 2D brawler beat-em-up slash shooting game. I definitely recommend if you have the ability. Well, I mean, I basically recommend that you check out all of Treasure's catalog. But you, if you were only going to pick a couple games from their entire catalog to to try out, I I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds weird that a GBA Astro Boy game is a must play, but I promise you it is. Yeah, they they had a, a weird kind of floundering period a little bit um, when they entered the the aughts because. They, they kind of had back-to-back failures on PS2 between Sylphid and Stretch Panic, which mm-hmm. um, were both kind of games that, like, you know, floundered commercially and, and critically a little bit, too. Even though, again, I brought this up when I talked about Mischief Makers and Silhouette Mirage, like, despite the fact that the gameplay doesn't super hold up, Stretch Panic, still a very interesting idea, you know. Um, yeah. And, and like, that's, that's the thing, even like, even a lower tier treasure game is at the very least an interesting idea. Like, (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about versatility. You want to talk about that era of gameplay. You talk about the PlayStation two, the original Xbox, the GameCube. This is a company that on the GameCube gave us both Ikaruga, one of the greatest shmups, short list of greatest shmups of all time. It's my personal favorite. Yeah. And Wario World. Oh, Wario World. Same company gave us both. Wario World. I've been thinking about that game so much lately. And and I actually... Let me park on Wario World for a second. Because I think that Wario World might be what we're getting. I think that might be... I think Wario World might be that You think that it might game. be that game? I think it might be that game. So, I was talking about this in the Discord a little bit. And this is me doing my typical, you know... Seth doing not another Charlie Day conspiracy board, but <laughs> um, but let me pull out my conspiracy board for a hot second because there was a, a trademark registry 
in late March for Wario World done by Nintendo. And nobody really thought anything of it because it's not uncommon at all for Nintendo and and basically any company to frequently kind of re-register trademarks and renew them and keep the trademarks going because, hey, what if? Um, But it was revealed at the beginning of this month that the trademark had kind of moved on to the next step and the public um, was made aware of the fact that this was not a trademark renewal. This was a new WarioWare, uh, Wario World trademark. So, in other words, they have recently bought a new trademark for Wario World, meaning that there is, I don't know if it's a game, I don't know if they're remaking it, I don't know if they're remastering it, but they are intending to trademark something new with the Wario World branding. Um, with all of that being said, this is also the 30th anniversary of Wario as a character. Um, this is the 30th anniversary of Treasure, of course, which is what we're here talking about. I think the moons are kind of aligning for something, even if it's just a remaster or a remake of this GameCube game. It's a phenomenal game. One of the very best on GameCube. Um, it's really short, but still really good. Yeah, it's it's really, really excellent. Like, I, I adore that game. Um I think <laughs> something's happening. Wario a spinning pile driver. 10 out of 10. <laughs> I, I do. I think something is happening with Wario World. Again, I don't know if it's a new one. I don't know if it's a remake, a remaster, but I do think something is happening with Wario World. So that's that's my hot take. Wario World 2 cross Ikaruga. Oh, God. That'd be, that'd be <laughs> insane. A Wario World <laughs> shmup. I'd be kind of into it. I'd be, I mean, we just got Pocky and Rocky, so I mean, why not? Dude, that would actually be kind of amazing. Uh, if, <laughs> that would be kind of amazing if they did a, a Wario uh, kind of Pocky and Rocky style shmup like that. Oh, that'd be kind of awesome. I kind of want that, <laughs> that now. That would be kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> man, why why you make me think of things I, I know I'm never going to get? Oh, mm. man. Well... And, and again, we, we touched on the GBA a little bit with Astro Boy, but we should also say that they took some of their, you know, popular games from the Sega Genesis and Sega Saturn, the Guardian games, yep. the, the Heroes games, essentially, um, with yeah. Advanced Guardian Heroes and Gunstar Super Heroes on GBA. Yes. Yeah. I, I really hope. And we haven't really touched on it too much, the, the idea of the Game Boy, the handheld NSO stuff. Yeah. But... We've already got a lot of treasure love from the Genesis app. Yes. We've, we've talked about that a little while ago, and we would certainly like some more Genesis love uh, from treasure with the NSO app. But if this GBA, if this GB NSO thing eventually comes to fruition, uh, there are like, we definitely need to get some treasure love from the GBA. If all we get is Astro Boy Omega Factor, I'll be happy. But Gunstar Superheroes was a really good port slash mm-hmm. remake slash sequel of the original. And Guardian Heroes was a much more kind of anime style chibi version of the original Guardian Heroes. But still very, you know, very deserving of that uh of that ip of that name gunstar superheroes they, they kind of brought it in line with like some some of the contemporary games that were uh, yeah. that were coming out of that time so i i understood why they took that sort of art style approach to it but um still really cool and yeah like that that's kind of the thing with treasure right like they they will come onto a system and they will make some of the defining cult classics of that system like from the Genesis to the Saturn to the Nintendo 64 to even the Wii and the Game Boy Advance. Like 
if treasure is making a game on your platform, they're going to make something special. Maybe not. It's maybe isn't going to land every single time critically um, or commercially, but it's always going to be something special and unique and worth talking about. Now, admittedly, once you get past the GBA, once you get past the GameCube and the PlayStation, and the original Xbox, uh, treasure did really just kind of slow no down. Dive, honestly. Yeah. And uh, you can see it on the Nintendo DS. They did like three separate bleach games on the Nintendo DS. They did another tiny tunes game on the PlayStation two. Like I said, they did follow up with that sin and punishment sequel on the Wii in 2009. But honestly, since then, I don't know. They did go back to the, uh, to the Xbox live arcade with one of their band guy. games. Yeah. They made a, they made a few of those. I've got to admit, I never really got into them. I've never played they did them. Make a few of those band games. I had one on, I swear it was on the GBA just because it was treasure. I swear I had one on the GBA, but they made a couple of them. Yeah. Um, they made a couple of them, but after that Xbox live arcade band game, they, they released one other in 2014. I can't even remember what it was called. It's called like Geist crusher. And then, yeah. and then a sequel Geist crusher God on the like Japan only on the three DS. Um, which I guess in itself, it's not even a completely original IP. It's based on like a manga franchise, manga and anime franchise. So I would like to play that. It's only in Japan, unfortunately, but, um, but that was, I mean, yeah, 2014 with Geist Crusher God, um, was the last release from Treasure. I think what we saw with them is the, the strategy kind of stopped working in the modern age. Cause that's, that's kind of the thing that we bump into a lot with video games today is they're more expensive to make and they're, they're much higher risk, potentially higher reward, mm-hmm. but much higher risk. It's, it's hard for a studio like treasure to survive in this modern climate. So even though they were tackling like these bleach games and keeping the lights on with these licensed things, um, and then, you know, still putting out something like sin and punishment star successor, Sin and Punishment didn't come out and like set the world on fire with sales. So they had to go right back to the drawing board and like start doing this license stuff again. And now they've been basically asleep for almost 10 years. Well, the same thing that I respected about them not chasing that dollar, about not them about them not chasing financial success is very likely a reason that we haven't heard much from them in the past 10 years. It's very likely the reason that as AAA games, as console releases, as the budgets for those games continue to balloon and balloon and balloon, a company like Treasure slowly lost the ability to keep up. Because back in the Genesis days, you could have a small team and not a big budget and still produce something. If you had the talent, like they certainly did, you could produce something on the level of many of the, the premier developers of that time. But if you're not growing at that same rate, if you don't exponentially increase your team, if you're not, you know, increasing the budgets of your games, it's going to be hard for you to keep up. And treasure had like a 15 year hot streak 
But eventually, I think just the industry, the growth, the insane explosive growth of this industry finally caught up with them. And I've got to imagine that's a big reason that we haven't heard much from one of the greatest developers of all time in the past 10 years. It it is. And and so they had to expand the company considerably. Um, By the time you get to 2009 with games like Sin and Punishment Star Successor, they had some 30 employees. And then, Mm -hmm. again, as these things started to flounder and not sell well, they eventually had to essentially have their development team. By 2011, they only had 16 people working for them. Because you have to, I mean, these are 30 people with with lives and families and salaries. I mean, it's expensive to keep all of those people paid when you're not making Mm -hmm. that money back. And now, today... Treasure has got less than 10 employees. It's like a skeleton crew over there. It's like the old days of Treasure over there now in terms of the size of the studio. Now, one thing that they are doing is Treasure does internally facilitate the re-releasing of their back catalog. When things pop up on virtual console, when things are popping up on NSO and things like that, those are being handled internally by Treasure, which is nice. Like all of these, you know, when, when Ikaruga is re-released it's actually being re-released by treasure which is nice and that's why i sort of feel like wario world is going to be this re-release and it's going to be handled internally um so i I do respect that about the company but that is sort of what they're just doing now they're not really working on original games as much as they are just focusing on re-releasing their old stuff because that's what's working for them right now yeah but uh, you know as we kind of come down to the end of this uh, conversation and just waiting with bated breath for whatever treasure has up their sleeve. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of very mainstream famous game develop, like third party game developers out there or historically third party video game developers out there. There's a lot of great small indie studios out there. And I mean, when it comes to, just the premier studios when it comes to your naughty dogs, when it comes to your rares, when it comes to your rock stars, yeah. when it comes to stuff like that, as far as I'm concerned, and I, I would think as far as gamers of a certain age are concerned, you really have to add treasure to that lineup because of that insane hot streak, because of the constant quality of what they were putting out, because of all the new ideas they were bringing to the table, because of all the different genres that they were being able to consistently create quality in, a Treasure was just a name that, it was a name that sold games. And there are few greater compliments you can really give to a video game developer than just by saying your name alone will sell copies. I saw so many people after that tweet went up, I saw so many people and we're going to get to community comments in a second. I mean, the all end community has come out of the woodwork for treasure yeah. because like there's still just such a love for for this company and for their history like i saw so many people basically respond to that tweet saying whatever it is i'm in you know Mm -hmm. like whatever this is i'm in because i love treasure i love their history i love that they're still around i love their sort of like fast explosive energy that their games have always carried and whatever this is i am here for it all the love in the world to treasure happy 30th birthday treasure (laughs) yes happy 30th you don't look a day over 15. <laughs> well, as I said, we do have a ton of community comments that that I want to read here and get to because there's just so much love 
um, not only from us, but from the all-in community for treasure. And uh, the first one comes from us, uh, comes to us from our buddy Dan from Retrologic, mm-hmm. <laughs> who says, Treasure is one of those developers where you're like, why is this random asteroid wo- uh, Astro Boy game way better than it has any right to be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True story. And the response is, because treasure. They have because a way treasure. because treasure. They have a way of harnessing the pure fun of kinetic movement in video games. Even their more puzzle-focused games like Mischief Makers have very dialed-in physics. I've said it before and I'll say it again, give them Star Fox. <laughs> I mean, have you played Sin and Punishment? I mean, <laughs> it's not that dissimilar. It's I I had never really thought of uh, Treasure taking on Star Fox, but I'm like obsessed with that idea now. That would be so There's cool. There's got to be a mod there's got to be a mod out yeah. there for for either Star Fox 64 or Sin and Punishment. There's got to be a mod out there. That would be so wonderful because because he's right. Like that again, it's game feel. It's that intangible game feel that Treasure just understands. I like yeah, like mm-hmm. Dan says, harnessing the pure fun of kinetic movement in video games. I I can't put it any better than that. Like that they just they get it. They just get it. And, um, and I think that's what is ultimately really important about Star Fox, even more so than the characters. It's, it's the way the game feels, um, especially when you're talking about those arcade style Star Fox games. So that would be, that would be great. I'm, I'm like obsessed mm-hmm. with that idea now. Please make that happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you for that comment, Dan. The next one comes from our buddy, Eric Plunk, who says, and I resonate with this. Eric Plunk and I have a mutual love and nostalgia for McDonald's, so I I respect <laughs> his comment here. He says, Ronald McDonald was treated way better than he had any right to be when Treasure ta- uh, tackled McDonald's Treasureland Adventure for the Sega Genesis. While understandably short and on the easy side, its graphics really pop and have that treasure seal of quality to them. I highly recommend giving it a try any way you can. I love being able to talk so much about McDonald's Treasureland Adventure this episode. What a what a good game! So thanks for, thanks. For we that have comment. sold so many Big Macs in the past <laughs> hour. They really should sponsor us. Hey, if I I've been saying on Twitter a lot, I've been trying to get McDonald's to sponsor Sean Capri, our buddy Sean Capri, because he he all on, they should they should <laughs> if if there's any podcaster out there, McDonald's, if you're listening, sponsor us. But I mean, like, if there's any podcaster out there, you should be sponsoring. It's it's Sean Capri. Uh, that man, I cannot go to McDonald's without thinking of that man. Um, <laughs> next comment comes from our buddy Datfast, John Cummins, um, who mm-hmm. says, I think they should be the ones to revive Chibi Robo. I love how Treasure will try different things, even when it's not always popular. I think we'd get an amazing Chibi ro- uh, Robo game from them that no one would expect. I think that's a really interesting take. I would never have thought of Treasure for Chibi Robo. Well, they do work in a lot of different genres, but a lot of those different genres do involve a lot of shooting. Yeah, usually it's just very like explosive, fast paced. Yeah. Yeah. Very action oriented, almost Midway-esque in in the way they do a lot of over the top action. So, I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like that would be, it would almost be as if, nether realm we're taking on a nintendo game <laughs> sure so not necessarily that gory of course but i do think it would be a weird marriage it, it would be weird it wouldn't but but like he mentions like they they always expect the unexpected with them you know so like and i and i think that just kind of drives some of what we've been talking about i would try it 
I like I would buy it day oh, one. Oh, I would absolutely buy it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I would absolutely buy it day one, sight unseen. Yeah. I don't need to see any trailers. I don't need to see any images. Just tell me that Treasure is making a new Chibi Robo game. Thank you. I'll take 10. Absolutely. Uh, next comment comes from our friend Shy Guy City, Matt Murray, a.k.a. my arch nemesis, hey, um, yeah. <laughs> who says, How many times did you guys swap world records this week? A lot. A, a lot. lot. Yeah. If he, I, I told I him, remember. I told him this. If he, if he takes uh, that one stage away from me again, he can have it because I can't do it any faster. I cannot do it any faster. Um, All in community showing out on neon white this week. Congrats, guys. <laughs> anyway, shy guy says the term gets thrown around a lot, but really, truly, maybe the most underrated developer ever. There's obviously the big hits like Gunstar Heroes and the cult classics like Mischief Makers and Sin and Punishment. The former, I think, is my most wished for remaster, even just straight port to modern hardware. The latter is mm. genuinely still one of the best action games I've ever played and way more interesting and fun to me than its contemporary Star Fox 64. Shots fired. Um, mm, but a, That's spicy. That's spicy, Matt. Um, but a lot of the people that formed the studio made games like Contra 3 and Super Castlevania 4 when they were still at Konami, and you can see the DNA of what would become Treasure even back then. And that's without getting into stuff I don't even have the authority to speak on. Like Alien Soldier having a freaking parry mechanic back in 1995 on the Genesis. So mm -hmm. shout outs to that. The nostalgic part of me also remembers reading EGM's review of Wario World, which I believe they gave middling scores to, but they absolutely raved about the boss fights in the game and just Treasure's boss fights in general. That really made an impact on Kid Me, who was just starting to get more into games and didn't know developers could even have pedigrees for specific things like that. Yeah, Treasure boss fights are unilaterally amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the the vehicular rocket fight um, yeah, I, in, in, in Mischief Makers, makers <laughs> is still one of my so favorite nuts. boss fights in any game ever. Like, I think about that, that all the so time. so nuts. So good. <laughs> I, I really do hope that comes to NSO in the next wave because you all need to play Mischief Makers. Um, yeah. We've got a comment here from Bozo, who I believe this this might be like one of their first, if not only... Uh, comments in the in the actual Discord. So I was really happy to see Bozo's name uh, pop yeah, up here. Yeah, welcome to the conversation. Yeah, welcome to the conversation, Bozo. And they left a very insightful uh, comment. This is just the power of treasure. Everybody just wanted to sound off about treasure. Um, Bozo says, Treasure, in my mind at least, elevated the medium of 2D game design way beyond its contemporaries. Their ethos of action-packed, gameplay-centric design really resonates with my tastes in a way that few studios' repertoires do. That's not to say their 3D output was bad either. This is probably an unpopular opinion in Nintendo communities, but I truly believe that Sin and Punishment is a superior shooter franchise in every way to Star Fox. Again, spicy. Yep. Um, yeah. I used to think that Treasure was to 2D gaming what Clover slash Platinum were to 3D gaming. Although mm. as, as time goes on, that comparison grows less appropriate. Goes to show how incredibly consistent Treasure was in their prime. They're definitely mm -hmm. a skeleton crew now. Who knows if they can make magic like Sin and Punishment 2 again. But I'd love to see what they can still do today. So what a oh. great comment that was. Um. Thank you so much for that, Bozo. And, and yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I, I didn't expect to see so many like Sin and Punishment versus Star Fox comments here. Uh, which well, is I mean, funny. when you talk about Treasure, when you talk about those two games, they just kind of they just kind of immediately remind you of each other. They just kind of immediately draw comparisons to each other. So 
but I mean, yeah, I think Sin and Punishment is, I think it takes it in the same way that Diddy Kong Racing, in my mind, is a clearly superior game to Mario Kart 64. I think Sin and Punishment is the Diddy Kong Racing of the Star Fox, if that makes any sense whatsoever. No, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, look, here's the thing. Dan's one of my best friends. He's probably listening to this right now. I have to say this under my breath, but I think I agree. I think I agree. I just have to say that quietly. Um, <laughs> I want to still be friends with Dan. I just wish, I just wish they let you, because the, the control scheme on the N64 NSO is is really kind of oh, weird sure. and wonky. I just really wish they let you mess with that. Please, sure. that's that's an update we need. Maybe even more so than fixing that uh, underwater soft lock glitch from Kirby. Maybe even more so than that. We need a way to to mess with the controls in Sin and Punishment on the N64 NSO. Well, the last comment here comes from Sam, our buddy Third Strongest Mole again. We have all, all the Retrologic hosts uh, sounded off for this conversation. Uh, Sam says, obviously I love Treasure, and anybody who listens to Retrologic probably knows that by now. The thing is, I discovered almost all of their games late. Even Mischief Makers, which I grew up with, took a long time to grow on me, but it's one of my favorite N64 games now. Gunstar Heroes is my favorite Genesis game of all time. Even a bad game like Stretch Panic is still worth playing because it has so many (laughs) cool ideas. Yeah, that's Treasure in a Nutshell. Yeah, when I said earlier that gamers of a certain age hold this company in high esteem, that's not just... Yeah, that's just not just me talking out of my rear end. That's not just me trying to say clickbaity stuff for the sake of content. Treasure is that company. Yep. And I cannot wait to see what that game is. But what do you guys think about, we already know what a lot of you think about Treasure, <laughs> but the ones that weren't able to chime in uh, yet, we'd love to hear what you think about Treasure, this iconic developer. Do you? Where do you fall on the Sin and Punishment versus Star Fox 64 argument? Ooh. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Maybe we should even put a poll up. I think that would be fun. Maybe we should, yeah. Uh, maybe we should. I like that idea. But whatever your favorite memories of Treasure games are, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast, on Twitter, at All In Podcast. Come join our community, our community of amazingly intelligent, articulate, incredible people Mm -hmm. uh, over on Discord. Join us over there. Uh, Check us out on YouTube.com slash All In Podcast, on Twitch.tv slash All In Podcast, where again, every Friday, you can watch us break down the news this week in Nintendo News Live on Twitch.tv slash All In Podcast. And of course, even if you can't join us on Twitch, you can check out the podcast itself every Saturday, everywhere you get your podcasts from, be it iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, and all the other places. guys. We thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate you guys. And we would really appreciate if you joined our Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com slash all in podcast. We do a ton of stuff over there every week. Early access to vids, talking about polls. You can influence the content of the show. We do an entire other separate show, Mm -hmm. a second show for all of our amazing patrons. Definitely consider joining the all in patron community over at all in uh, over at patreon.com slash all in podcast. But even if you don't do that, uh, 
even if all you want to do is just to tell the world how much you adore this little passion project of ours. Guys, you know what you could still do? You could drop some words. You can drop some words entirely for free, and it helps so much with uh, support for the show on iTunes, on Podchaser, and on Audible. You can leave written reviews that we will shout out at the beginning of the episode. And uh, even on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating, and it's a totally free way to tell the world how you feel about us and to uh, increase visibility and support the show. And that it means the world to us when you do that. But even if, even if all you do is just come and you hang out and you listen to us ramble for hours every week, <laughs> even if all you do is just come and see what's going on in our crazy worlds every Saturday, we still want to say thank you to all of you. Um, thank you for hanging out with us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Namaste. Well, another episode in the books, my friend. And now, yeah, balls in Nintendo's court, right? Balls absolutely in Nintendo's court. We're going into the final week of June. And I, guys, it's, it's the elephant in the room. It really is. It's absolutely. The, and when it comes to the world of Nintendo, when it comes to the stuff that we ramble on about for hours every week, I, I mean, we all know. We all know. It's the final week of June. Still haven't heard anything yet as of this recording about an actual factual for realsies full on Nintendo direct. It's like we're watching a soap opera. It's like a will they won't they, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the we're going into the final week not only of June but of Nintendo's fiscal year. Yes. So I mean Every star, the alignment of everything in the universe is pointing to a massive Nintendo Direct this coming week. Regardless of whatever rumors or potential leaks you might have heard, all the legit stars in the galaxy are still aligning for a massive Nintendo presentation this week. Again, it's the big elephant in the room. So next week, we're either going to be talking about a massive show or a massive disappointment. But either way, guys, we will join you right here next week. I have been Grand Theft Eric, Chinatown Wars. And I have been Seth Star Heroes. Whatever happens, we'll be we'll we'll go through it together and we'll see you yes. all next week. We love you very much. Bye. Bye.